Hey everybody, it's Q&A time. It's time to have some fun with the questions, the things that fell through the cracks, things that we didn't cover in our previous episodes this week or this season. And you all have supplied us with quite a lot of material to work with. Lots of great questions, lots of fun. So let's not waste too much time. Let's uh, get into it almost right away. First things first, though. Happy anniversary to Radio Westeros. Two years ago today marks the first release of your first episode, uh, Mercy Chapter. How cool is that? <laughs> yes, very cool. It's gone by pretty quick. It's been a wild ride, and uh, we're happy to be in this place yeah. two years on. Yeah, we're hoping we're hoping for many more years. <laughs> oh, you're wearing the you're wearing the t-shirt, <laughs> yeah. Aziz. Good. That's right. So are we hoping for many more years. It's been a good first two. Here's to many more. I know we've got plenty of years left before the last <laughs> book comes out. So. <laughs> so the time is certainly there. The path is clear. So <laughs> that's great. And also want to shout out to our Patreon dragon riders, Lord Mark Joseph, the Snow and Winterfell, rider of Mazalek Cartho, a white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons. Also, Rory the Subduer, a tamer of the Last of Valyria, rider of Vrathrace, a silver gold dragon with violet eyes, talons, and horns. So should we should we guess that they don't have wings? <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're just not violet. Silver gold wings also, yeah. <laughs> Purple wings would be pretty cool too, but so are silver gold wings. And also to Jeff Gnarly, the long snapper, our first sword on History of Westeros' Patreon. So thanks a lot, guys, for the support there. That... Support of Patreon is crucial to our as able to doing extra episodes like this. This was one of our milestones to do Q&A episodes back, I don't know how long ago that was, but ever since we've made that milestone, we've done several Q&As, and we will continue to do so. They're a lot of fun for everyone. It's a good way to interact with people more than we do during our regular episodes, so it's a, it's a good change of pace. And as I said, there's a lot to talk about, so let's just get into it. Um, first question from Guillaume. Uh, Eski, I suppose. Uh, apologize, Guillaume, if that's not how to say it. How do you think the population of Westeros will learn about R plus L equals J? And do you think they would believe slash care about it? After all, he might be a Targaryen, but he still is a bastard one, kind of like Aegon IV's great bastards, right? Yes and no. I don't know how anyone is going to prove the claim that he's a Targaryen. That part's a bit tricky. But the circumstances with Aegon IV are a lot different, even though I do agree that there's some, some good comparisons to be made there. The thing is, there was a legitimate king standing there, you know, having ruled for a while, and he was rebelled against. I think what we, the show might be leading up to, I think the books would be a lot different, but the show looks to be leading up to having no heir to Tommen. When Tommen dies, it's a big question. We've been asked this a lot, a lot of fan, the fandom has discussed. Who comes after Tommen? Well, that might, the answer might be Jon Snow. It might be. Not that that's who the true heir is, but that's why it's been left open like that. There's no clear heir that clears the path for Jon. So that's that's my that's my opinion anyway. What do you guys think? Anyone else have an opinion on that? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify. Um, Ghislaine, it's a good question, but you're really assuming that Rhaegar didn't marry Lyanna. You know, you, you seem to be making that assumption and there's no reason to assume that, you know. It, it, it could e they could e have easily married. You know, if George wants George to be a hidden king, which is a kind of popular trope, then he 
he can make them marry, you know, with the, the old precedent of uh, Targaryens taking two wives, even though it hasn't been invoked for so long. There is still a precedent. So I wouldn't be assuming that they didn't marry. That's a great point. Yeah, it's I personally am wondering how they could have gotten married, whether it would be legal, whether we recognized. But that's just my own questions. That doesn't mean that there isn't a way for that to happen, a way for that to be, you know, for it to play out that way. They could say they were married. Absolutely. That's possible. Yeah. So that's a good point. So is that it, everybody? That, that I guess that covers it. Um, we'll, we'll go ahead and move on to the next question. All right. Let's see. From uh, let's, let's go to now free from the faceless men. What will Arya's purpose be? Can she realistically kill anyone on her show list that's not Walder Frey? Once Frey is dispatched, what would come next? Hmm. I do think that Walder Frey is certainly next, but after that. Well, the only person left on her list that she hasn't killed, well, Mountain's on her list, but that's kind of a gray area, or a blue-faced area. Mm -hmm. And uh, But Cersei's on her list, so maybe that's next, but I also think that she said she's going home, which in a sense could mean Westeros, but I think she wants to go to Winterfell. I think she wants to find out what happened to her family, and hey, good timing, they just <laughs> took it back. <laughs> so if she figures, if she hears about that, She'll not make a beeline for Winterfell. I think that might be her first goal. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, Melisandre was taken off her list, but if she saw her again, she might just add her back on. Yeah, so is Thoros, and Thoros yeah. is definitely going north too. So that could be problematic. Um, maybe she'll forgive them. I mean, the Hound will be with them, and she forgave him, <laughs> seemingly. So it could work out, especially if what they're doing. You know, the the Brotherhood is going north to fight. The White Walkers, apparently. I don't think. I don't know. I don't think Arya would kill someone who's doing that. But we'll see. I'm very curious to see what Arya's storyline is now. We talked so long about how it was hard to figure out. One of the biggest mysteries of the main characters was how Arya was going to like fit back into everything. And I'm excited that we're about to find out, at least in the show version. I do think the book version will be different, but either way, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, if she if she is to kind of reintegrate into the world and be the the original innocent Arya Stark, maybe her uh, purpose, as the questioner I think he's called Kieran asks, her purpose could be you know moving away from being a killer and being an assassin full stop in in the longer term. You know, obviously she's got her list and that's very important to her. But you know, maybe to be the true Arya Stark, maybe she needs to. Uh, Stop with the bloodlust. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I know a lot of people don't like seeing that darkness in her, and it's some of the same darkness we're seeing, in a sense, with Sansa. It's a different type of thing, but hey, that's the transition from childhood to adulthood. No, you know, you start in a lot killing of people. you start killing people, right? I mean, I know when I killed my first man at thirteen, it was uh, <laughs> it's a big deal. Although Sandor Clegane apparently killed his first man at ten, so you know, uh, yeah, it's it's Westerosi coming of ages are a bit different than real world <laughs> to say uh, to, to say something obvious like that okay so next question all right from real peterman the real peterman the real not the fake peter no uh does the wall come down in the last scene of the season finale mm. what do you think hmm. i don't think so i think yep. it's too soon think it's too soon i think it'd be awesome but i think he'd be even more epic if it was early on in the next season or something like that. I agree with Ashea. It feels too soon to me. It feels like, you know, they've had this great climax in the show with the, the battle and 
uh, they, they could have another focus now with Bran and RLJ and having flashbacks and stuff. That could be the North of the Wall storyline. And it would be great if we could see the wall coming down like next season to kind of set up a new storyline. Yeah, they may have... It's a budget thing, too. If they're, if they're going to show the wall coming down, which, by the way, isn't a, a guarantee by any means. It could be some way of they could just get through it somehow without taking the whole thing down. That's certainly an option on the table. Uh, and if they're going to show it collapsing, as always, especially in the end of the show where the budget becomes a concern, anytime we deal with these like epic-type scenes where they're probably going to require some CGI and cost, we got to it's worth considering where they can afford to put it. So, you know, this season's cost a lot. I'm sure next season's going to cost a lot. I'm sure that's a decision for them as well. Like, when can we afford this? If we can we can afford it now? Can we afford it next season? Uh, so I, I agree with you guys. I don't think it's happening this season. I think maybe we get like a tease that they're going to do that. Maybe that it's coming. But the actual coming through or breaking the wall, I agree with you guys. I don't think it's coming yet. All right. I think we're good to move on. Think so. Real quick, guys, if you're not clear on how the Q&A works, the Q&A event page is the Q&A button. If you go to the event page on Google+, there's a Q&A a button on the corner of the video player. You click on that, you can add questions and upvote existing questions. So there you go. There's your, uh, there's your tip. If you can't, if that doesn't work for you, you can submit questions outside of the app for future Q&As. Obviously, submitting them right now, we're not going to see them in the middle of this event. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, here's a fun question from Leo Willis. What weapon of choice would you have had 1-1 one -one use if CGI wasn't a cost? I'd personally love to see him swing down 20 men in one hit with a huge tree, but then I also think the idea of him flinging boulders at the Bolton Cavalry, etc. would be quite enjoyable. Now there's the kind of question we like. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. I would like to see him pick up the men with their shield spears, you know, and just be using that. Just whacking them. Yeah, by the end, he did have the shield. That was cool, but he, he, that was just for a second at the end, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> he could have had one in each hand, just whack, whack. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it may be dominoes with, you know, pick up the one guy at the end and just knock them all down. You know, <laughs> <with> <laughs> one body. Having him on a tree would be pretty cool, though. I've seen a few internet memes of that well where else would i see a meme but on the internet that's kind of redundant but <laughs> of people just like photoshopping a big tree in his hand and it's <laughs> like yeah yeah that could work right on right on he, he has been seen with a weapon before hasn't he he didn't seem to have one that time i don't remember if it was him or if it was the the previous giant okay i think you're right actually now that you mentioned it one of the other giants had like a well, big mall or something and certainly in the books are described as having just like tree branches with like a maybe a stone lashed on the end or something <laughs> that would have been cool <laughs> i like, would have oh. liked to seen him with a giant iraq just kind of scything, scything <laughs> down the circle of men, just from left to right. What if he just picks up one of the dead horses and just swings it around, <laughs> whack, 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 like that? That would do a lot of damage. Well, they can do a lot of damage no matter what. Yeah, imagine if they just had really all they needed was like two more giants, and they would like Ramsey wouldn't have been like, oh, <laughs> maybe we can't. Or some armor for one one, and he would be invincible if he just had some plate armor. Oh, <laughs> yeah, dang, <laughs> good call. All right, let's go to the next one. All right, how about this one from Mike Carpenter? In the books, John has a dream where he thinks he has to go into the crypts of Winterfell. 
With Rickon's death, he has a reason to go there. What else could possibly wait for him down there but his own grave, separate from the others, with real parents' names? Hmm. I think it'd be kind of silly for Ned to have a, that there. <laughs> have that, a fake grave there. Kind of think of it. But yeah. the, show, the show's different from the books. Yeah, I wonder... I, I'm, I've been dubious of that there's something in the crypt specifically, like an item that never really worked for me. I, I can't say it's impossible. But um, I do think there might be some meaning, and they might have a scene in the crypts that would be a place to have Littlefinger say something to him. You know, that'd be like a a good scene location for and it. If John learns that that's his mother, it would make sense for him to go into the crypts to see her face effectively there. That's too. true too. He could go down after. Yeah, you're right. That could that could work. Um, what what about you guys? What do you think about that? Well. You know, yeah, the show and the books are really two such different things. Uh, I like the idea of Littlefinger in the in the show, maybe saying something, maybe not fully revealing, but sort of that might reveal be revealing to the watcher, anyways. Uh, also, like the idea of of him going down afterwards after he's learned something and having this poignant moment with his mother. In the books, I do think that there's a pretty good possibility that there's something there. Not like a document, you know, not that overt with a document or names or anything, but something more symbolic, mm -hmm. like a like a dragon's egg. Uh, I've seen I've seen Rhaegar's yes. harp suggested. That was a popular idea at Reddit, but I, I, I mm -hmm. think I like the dragon's egg most of all that they you know give to yeah. Targaryens um, for their birth present kind of thing. Rhaegar could have given one to Lyanna for for the kid. Yeah, that makes sense. Leaving his harp is kind of why? <laughs> why would he do that? It would certainly tell a story. It'd be interesting to see the harp, but yeah, that just seems a little like, huh? Why the harp? You know, of all the John picks it up and discovers he has natural music. <laughs> he's like, oh, he goes from John Snow father. to John Show. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he wanted to leave the wall. He wanted to come become a musician. <laughs> it's his true calling. <laughs> he can hit the Azor A high notes. <laughs> Oh, uh, I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, that was pretty good. It was. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on though. Yes. Uh, let's see. From Darren Tucker, Knight of the Forums. He says, "Do you think Sansa will attempt or succeed in influencing Sweet Robin against Littlefinger?" Uh, mm. I think that it's it would be possible, but it's not clear to me on that. I thought maybe Littlefinger would bring Sweet Robin up there with him, but it doesn't seem like it. He wasn't there with them at the battle. Maybe so. see Bronze John Royce. So, I expect him to be there, but faced with Littlefinger there in Episode Ten, Sansa might not consider Sweet Robin an option if he's not there for her to talk to. But if he was there, I think that she should think of just going above Littlefinger's head. I agree. I think in the books it might even be a moot point because it, I think the idea seems to be that he's going to be poisoned. I mean, he's being poisoned with sweet sleep, and it might, doesn't seem like Littlefinger has, can't get rid of him right away, but it's ominous. His situation is ominous. The chance of winning him over may be irrelevant in the books uh, if he just dies, but it might not be. It might not be. And then again, <laughs> if he does, if she does win him over, then it makes Littlefinger even more want to kill him. So... <laughs> I mean, in the book, she already has like, pretty much won him over. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if she starts actually if, yeah, doing something like that. Yeah. She, she's, well, you're right. She's won him over, but she hasn't like made him do anything against Littlefinger. She's certainly uh, 
got some control over him, which is good. I like seeing that because she's gotta she's gotta make those moves. I'm glad to see that she's younger in the books, and that's that's important. We're seeing that development a little bit later. Uh, All right. I don't think they have anything, so let's move on. Cool. All right. Here's a fun question from Maester David. Which plotline would you have sacrificed in order to have another one developed more? Which one would you have developed? Mm. Who wants to go first here? This is a fun question. Maybe we should frame this by season rather than by By season, everything. I have my answer. Yeah, I mean, this season, I think it might be, uh, we might all say a similar thing. If we were to say last season, I think most people would say Dorne, you know, was... was to be sacrificed? Uh, or to be developed more? Well, that one could be either. I mean, it was bad, so sacrificing it seems fine, but mm -hmm. developing it more is better. <laughs> I would rather have just them done it better than just getting rid of it entirely. Well, I'll give them all a chance to reply my answer. I would have cut down, cut out all of the Craster's Keep nonsense Ooh, with yeah. all of that, and I would have cut down the focus on Ramsey's doings, and I would have used it to develop Dorne so that they could have actually done it. Mm. Or, if, if not Dorne, then I would have used it so that we could do the Young Griff thing. I, I can't think of anything cut out of Season 1, but Season 2, I think, I'm, that's as far back as I could think of something that would cut out, is Danny's extra dragon stealing. Her dragons being stolen was kind of a... Yeah. I wasn't a fond of that either. But what about you guys? Yeah, your boy, Ray, uh, Lady Gwen, what do you think? I would cut out anything that they added, like those all the things that you mentioned that <laughs> were just sort of these extraneous sidebars that, um, in my opinion, maybe some of them helped them bridge storylines, but some of them didn't really add much. And at the expense of, say, something like Lady Stoneheart or Dorne or um, the strange break in the Iron Islands plot you know, that lasted a couple years. Um, I would have rather seen some of those developed more, for sure. Definitely Lady Stoneheart, if they could have. Yeah, that's a good kept answer. That in there. <laughs> yeah, I would go with uh, cutting down the really grim Winterfell scenes that, you know, I kind of think took away something from the show. I don't think anybody out there was watching it, enjoying it. I understand they wanted to show this kind of hell-like existence under the Ramsey banners but you know week after week sometimes it was just it was just too much and I would replace it with Lady Stoneheart. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot of us are calling Lady Stoneheart the biggest thing missing. <laughs> um, another thing I would maybe have done away with we're not done away with was just the way they handled Stannis was just not very well done. It's some of it especially in retrospect doesn't make sense like his the situation with the weather in particular, like we're about to find out that winter has finally come. Yet Stannis, his whole deal was the weather was too rough for them to continue, and that's what made him sacrifice Shireen. Come to find out how close they were to Winterfell, you know, given how Davos just wanders away and finds the pyre. They were really close to Winterfell at the time, apparently. And it just makes it all just, uh, yeah, just... That would have worked so much better when the weather is actually bad, you know, instead of having this storm come out of nowhere and then go away. It's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah you should have lasted longer happened yeah. after this, yeah. Yeah, so that just, that just the, the timeline, it was like a chronology thing that didn't work in, in retrospect. I see that. All right, let's move on. Ooh, 11 upvotes on this yeah, one. Yeah, from Christina the Sphinx. She says, do you think the Hound will link up with the Brotherhood Without Banners in the books? Hmm. 
That's really interesting. You know, I honestly, it's, it's a, in retrospect, it's kind of an obvious thing to consider, but I don't, I haven't personally. Mm-hmm. And I, I could see it, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he has to just go straight to King's Landing and fight for Gore once he's healthy or something like that. I mean, what's going to get him, a lot of people want him or think he will, just that's his piece, He's that's his life now. Um, but if that place, if, if, you know, that gets attacked, then Sandor's going to be filled with rage again. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah, what if someone attacks the Quiet Isle? That would be, uh, that's kind of scary to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, yeah, that's possible. Yeah, I, I do think it's I do think it's possible. The more I think about it, um, I really there's not a lot of like evidence either way to point towards it. I think it would fit, but it's hard to go beyond guesswork here. Hmm. What What do you guys think? Yeah, I, definitely. I mean, it's just guesswork, but I think what we're gonna see going forward is a lot more of these storylines merging together so you know all those riverlands jamie and brienne and the brotherhood and sandra they could all come together uh and you know one thing that i never considered until yesterday was that the brotherhood are going well we considered it first a few weeks ago when we saw the episode the brotherhood going north but i never considered the whole thing about sander with the brotherhood going to sansa which i think is really a fascinating idea so, um, yeah, and, and, and grassing up Littlefinger. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I always thought they question. would see each other again, but um, this idea that, sh- that he could uh, turn, uh, turn Littlefinger on Sansa, or, you know, reveal his secrets to Sansa is pretty interesting. It's it's come it'll come up again because there's a lot of people that want us to talk more about Sansa right in um, given the last episode, but it's possible as well that Sansa knows more than we are clear on about Littlefinger's betrayal of her of her father, and that is part of why she didn't want to work with him or you know, tell John because it's like, hey, we're working with our father's murderer. She doesn't know if John knows that or not. I'm not saying that would excuse, you know, not telling him, but it's just, you know, we're trying to figure out why she did that. And that might be part of why. Anyway, that's, we'll get to more Sansa stuff later. All right. Yeah, let's move on. How about let's move on to a question just related to that. All right. From Gam again. How do you think John will react to Sansa not telling him about the Vale army? I mean, if she had told him that they would most likely come, they would have waited and the whole battle would have gone differently, starting from the negotiations. Uh, well, I don't know that Sansa ever knew for sure that they would come, that she could count on them. That's one thing. Um, I, to, the first part of the question is how do you think John will react to it? I think he'll be confused. I think he might be a little angry but mostly he'll be confused frankly like a lot of us (laughs) like here's the thing Uh, let me let me go off on this for a minute because there's some a lot of there's a lot of negative feedback about sansa and even about in some cases about how we've analyzed sansa now it depends on how you're approaching it i think this is this is this needs to be said excusing what sansa has done is different than trying to explain it in terms of we're not explaining explaining it doesn't mean justifying it it's just we're, we're all a little confused as to why she didn't tell it. And we're trying to come up with reasons that make sense for why she is behaving this way. Not for why it's good. No one is like, good job not telling John about the Veil Knight stance. No one is like, that was smart. We don't know what her motivations or ambitions are at this time. All we know is that she's 
got trust issues and has been heavily traumatized in a way that book says it will never be traumatized. I would say there are, there is a contingent of people that are ad, that are advocating for a cunning view of Sansa where this was a blood not bloodthirsty but ambitious uh, ambitious thing I she agree. did which they are a little bit like good job Sansa not that that's a good thing but that she was being cunning. Okay. Uh, but that's a small contingent. Yeah. So there's no no one's defending Sansa's choices in the sense that we think, yay, she did the right thing. But we're all trying to make sense of it, and until we get this, how will how will John react? That is a good question, and how she explains it. That's there's a lot up in the air. Until we get that, it's hard to fully judge her. Um, Isn't it possible that it's just a kind of hole in the plot, and it will never be addressed? Yes. It's just a kind of thing that they brush <laughs> over. That you know, they never meant for Sansa to be the bad person. They just wanted to have some kind of surprise, and you know that would have totally blown it. So, couldn't it just be a little kind of error in the storytelling that's never addressed? That's a great point, and it leads me to a related question. Um, I think this is also from Guillaume E. Yes, how do you? This is not on our Q and A. This is something posted on the event wall. How do you deal with the constant lack of logic and continuity mistakes made this season? And, well, I don't say that they're any worse this season. I think, for example, season five was worse in that regard. And this is, but I, the reason I like this question so much, it, it, some people would think that is, would call that question a little trolly. I definitely don't. I think it was asked, you know, honestly, and he wants a real answer. And I think, frankly, the show's had plot holes every season. Big plot holes every season. Maybe not so many in season one because they were able to stick to the material, book material because it, the Game of Thrones is a tighter story. It's there aren't like a million locations. There aren't nearly as many characters. So, starting with season two, though, there's just plot holes all over the place. And it's to this point, from my point of view, my opinion alone, I've gotten used to that. They've been they've had plot holes every season for five straight years. I just I don't you know. Just you got to expect it. <laughs> you got to just deal with it if you want to enjoy the show at all. So I just focus on the acting, the sets, the, the stuff that TV is supposed to be good. But frankly, most TV has huge plot holes. I mean, it's really common for TV shows to have plot holes. Not just Game of Thrones, not just HBO shows. It's everywhere. So to me, I just judge TV and books by a massively different standard. What about everybody else? <laughs> um, I... To be honest, for me, um, I see a lot of TV shows that don't do that. Oh, yeah, there are that don't, yeah. And so, and that's happened more and more in recent years, and I really, just really good shows, and it has made me judge Game of Thrones a little more harshly in the most recent years, I, I think. That's fair, that's fair. Just a little bit, but again, I also am able to just brush it aside, because it's really not all that important to me. Yeah. It's when they massacre the characters. Not ma not literally massacred characters, but when they, you know, their themes, when they just, what what they're doing to Jamie, for instance. I don't think, like, the plot holes don't really get me, but when Jamie's character is how it is, that really gets to me. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. That's um, something that character arcs being completely turned on their heads uh, do bother me more than sort of lack of continuity. And then, hey, every once in a while... Um, they surprise us and they pull out some big continuity thing that, you know, goes back three years and prove that they can do it. So, you know. Yeah, I think it's something that's kind of inherent in, t you know, uh, unstitching a huge complicated story and then trying to stitch it back together and the pieces don't quite fit, do they? 
And, uh, you know, I'm not sure... I'm not here, I'm not even, I'm not saying D&D are good writers or bad writers, but I, I don't think even the best writers could stitch it back together seamlessly because, you know, of the complexities of A Song of Ice and Fire, which as people who've, like, studied the books, we know, you know, how clever and layered and complex this whole story is yeah. that's a good point it's like trying to it's like trying to do a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle with 500 pieces i mean you're just going to be holes in places where they don't want you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's very true and we we brought this up in our yesterday's episode as well talking about how the, the show is also under much more strenuous time constraints and that doesn't necessarily make it better but it does give them an excuse for for not catching all of their own whole plot mistakes. Um, they, they just, frankly, don't have a lot of time. You know, they have to do this really quickly. Uh, which brings us to another a related question about uh, timing and why can't they take longer? Um, I don't know where that question went. We Someone asked, why can't they take more than a season uh, in between? Yeah. Why can't they take a year and a half or two years in between seasons? I think it's a fair question, but... Frankly, they have child actors and things like that, and they just the extra time is a real problem. I think they have child actors. I think there's a lot of other impetus on them. There's a lot of people pushing for it to be yearly. I'm sure at HBO, there's not only that, but that's just David and Dan have kids. You know, yeah. like they have lives as well. So the the comparison made was Curb Your Enthusiasm. The Curb Your Enthusiasm, like consider the effort to make any TV show is is, is pretty substantial, but to to make Game of Thrones, it's just ridiculous. The amount of organization and the the money and all the locations and actors. It's just, the scale is massively bigger than a show like Curb Your Enthusiasm or even like Louie is another example of a show that is not consistent with its releases. Louie is a perfect example of a show that's would, not particularly expensive to make in terms of TV shows. I would give a good example of like a show like Humans, uh, which is taking that year and a half, but I do worry that it'll impact their viewer base and they're still not as big of a production. They have like a lot of special effects. It's a sci-fi show, but it's still not like three, four lo like locations filming at one time like Game of Thrones is. So it's just a huge amount of money. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying about the the scale. I mean, look at how many actors there are in Game of Thrones. Like you say, the organization, but also it could be that. HBO view this as their flagship. It's their biggest investment, and they they want a reputation after a quite shaky reputation of cancelling, you know, favourable series. They want one that is on the button, you know, that's out every year that everyone knows is coming. They 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 want a flagship series. Yeah. Also, looking at it from their perspective, the show is massively successful with the way they've been doing it. I mean, they just had possibly the most popular TV episode of all time, the Sunday. Yeah. Why would they, yeah. like, why do we need to, why do we need to take longer? Why do we, you know, the show, like, as far as how well the show reflects the books, arguably it's a mediocre success at best. But in terms of a successful TV show, there's really no argument at all. <laughs> it's just massively successful. And from HBO's bottom line perspective, it's like, why would we change that? Why yeah. would we space it out more? You know, like, what's our what's our benefit there? Just to make book readers happier? Yeah, we'd love that. But I gotta I gotta admit, that's probably not a very compelling reason for them, for those HBO executives. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So our next question. This ties into what we were just talking about, but I figure it's good to cluster these slightly together. Um, from Kirsten Sello, perhaps Sansa didn't tell John about the army because if Rickon and possibly John died, her, win her Winterfell claim is absolute. 
Being the last army to arrive also gives her the most power. Do you think this was a calculated Tywin-like move or bad show writing? Uh, I, I've read a lot of good articles about this, and we were just talking about Dim Sansa versus Cunning Sansa. Are they really, like, can it be a little bit of both? And I think it can be a the little bit The dire wolf is gray. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I think it can be a little bit both. I think it's mostly just bad show writing. I, I don't really think Sansa's being this cunning and and uh, ruthless myself. I would like it if she was. I mean, I wouldn't like Sansa like that, but I would like it because it's better than bad writing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. If it's if she's calculating, ambitious, that is better writing than just this is how it played out because she didn't. You know, yeah, I mean, I agree that that would be more satisfying, and that's kind of important. But yeah, it's really it's it's really going to be up in the air until we find out this next episode how the reactions are, what what happens, and I kind of lean towards the 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 ambition side of things, but I tend to be more optimistic about what the show is doing. I'll go for bad writing. Sorry. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think this was their attempt to show Sansa being, you know wounded or or some something other than calculated um n not trusting john or or something um but it was you know done in a kind of heavy-handed way that ended up making her look like this calculating or cunning <laughs> i think it's a big leap to say that sansa wants john dead you know when she, when Ramsay's on the other side of the battlefield, <laughs> I, I think you, you know that yeah. that that's kind of a very stupid move to focus on John right. when her yeah. biggest enemy, who's her rapist, is stood there. And take that, take <laughs> the fact that she told John she she would not go alive. I mean, she basically said she would kill herself if Ramsay won. Yeah, I don't yes, really she was think worried. that she was uh, cheering for. John to lose in that situation in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So three out of four podcasters agree that it was bad writing. <laughs> uh, but I think we all agree that it, we'll see next yeah. episode. It may clear things up. It may make it a slam dunk bad writing, or it may be like, okay, well, that's a reasonable explanation. That's better. There's, I don't know. We'll see. There's always that possibility. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's, so it's, it's happened. It, and this is important. This is a, this is kind of one of the things I was talking about earlier. It's really all about managing your expectations. I mean, I won't be like massively disappointed if I'm wrong here. Because I, I agree with you guys that the possibility is it could be there. I'll just be like, eh, well, there they go again. <laughs> and we, on the other hand, will be pleasantly surprised if it turns out to be something besides bad writing. Right. Maybe, maybe disappointed in if they've done something weird with Sansa's character. But And I also know that whatever happens, Sophie Turner's going to act it out really well. You know, mm -hmm. like she's going to, she's a great actress. And whatever, whatever dialogue they give her, she's going to do it well. And I, I look forward to that. Let right. me looking at the bright side again. Right. <laughs> uh, let's move on to a question not here from Joseph Ashley. If Littlefinger tries to wed Sansa, uh, what if Sweet Robin finds out and Sansa might be in on Robin knowing and have Littlefinger put in a corner? Which is, I think, did we already answer a question? We sort of, we didn't really, well, it, it, it refers to that question again because we, again, it depends a lot on whether or not Sweet Robin's there. Yeah. Which, leaning towards no, having Lyanna Mormont at the battle maybe you know makes it a little more likely sweet robin was around he's Except not we didn't as, see it yeah he's inept 
not sickly in the book in the show. That's the difference. In the books, he's sickly, and in, in the show, he's just inept. <laughs> he's just really awkward, clumsy. I don't think that he's got you know really. He's like he's not small for his age or anything like that. Although he still has the crazy upbringing of his crazy mother, who was you know breastfeeding him when he was eight or nine or whatever. He should um, have been at the battle, you know, as an archer on the flanks. He would have taken Ramsey <laughs> out. <laughs> Talk about friendly fire. <laughs> he, he wouldn't hit anybody. He'd be like... <laughs> uh, uh, so... Yeah. I think that's... Uh, I, think, I think that covers it, right? Yeah. More, More or less. less. <laughs> All right. Let's move on then. Um, another sweet Robin... Uh, question from ninja saws ninjas at oz i don't know ninjas um, ounce ninjas ounce <laughs> i think that might be right i don't know do you think that sweet robin is most likely peter baelish's son the mockingbird lays her eggs and other her eggs he uh in other birds nests often kills the original eggs and has these unsuspecting birds raised uh raise her offspring it's right there in little fingers house animal okay this is an old this is an old theory isn't it yeah is that is this true? Is this true? Because I know this is what cuckold cuckoos do, which is where where the word cuckold comes from. But I never knew that it was the the mockingbird. As far as I knew, the interesting thing about mockingbird is that they they uh, you know repeat what's around them. That they blend in and copy people. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think that they did. They had the cuckoo habit. You're correct. <clears throat> That's correct. Uh, we actually looked this up when we were doing our little finger episode, and it is the cuckold who does, uh, or the cuckoo that does. I didn't know that where cuckold came from. That's cool. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the mockingbird is, is a bird that mimics other animals, which is interesting when you consider Peter, Peter Baelish in the sense that he wants to sort of take on Winterfell and the Stark identity. Um, but no. Um, I don't think that's a, quite the best analogy. And I also, I don't think that Sweet Robin is Peter Baelish's son. Yeah, that's the question he was uh, actually asking. So let's... But, which is the, the question that's being asked. Um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think, think so, because I think Liza would have known and she wouldn't have been such a nut because that's what she, all she wanted, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, it would have come out, you know, in her ranting she might not know to be fair i'm not sure i think the timeline supports the possibility uh without doing anything to confirm it or supply additional evidence so i guess we can't say 100 percent no it's impossible but i think we can say that she wouldn't know whether it's true or not lisa didn't know right that's what yeah that's what i'm saying like she wouldn't necessarily know just like cersei cersei knows where her kids came from because she stopped sleeping with robert but you know for example if she hadn't like, from, for example, that's actually a good question. Like, if Cersei were to try to reveal on purpose that Tommen is, is an incest child, she couldn't prove it. Okay. <laughs> she could say, look at his hair color, and people would be like, so? You know, she can't prove she didn't sleep with Robert. She can't prove it's Jamie's child. You know, we know this. <laughs> we know that she's telling the truth that she didn't sleep with Jamie or sleep with Robert after a certain point. But... The characters in the show, there's just no way to prove that to them. Like, they think, oh, well, she was sleeping with both. How does she know which one is the father? But I don't think, I mean, well, in the show, I don't I don't remember in the show, but I mean, in the books, there's no evidence that she kept sleeping with Littlefinger during the years of her marriage. Right. There is no, you're right. It's just that they were, she came to court with 
John Aaron and so did Littlefinger. So they were they were in the same location. They that's were, all. That's that's what yeah. I mean. I, that's what I mean by the timeline supporting yeah. it. It just means so, they were in the right location. Yeah. It doesn't suggest they did it. Just that. Yeah. I really think that if they'd been kind of having sex in the kind of period where it would have made Robin an eligible son of Littlefinger, that you know. We would have heard this from Liza. She would she would have been optimistic about it. She would have been saying it in, in madness. She would have she would have said it at some point. Even if she wasn't sure, she could have said, Oh, he could be your son or something. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Her saying nothing is pretty telling. I, I gotta agree with that. Hmm. Alright, let's go on. Okay. Let's move on to let's stay in the north for a little while. Right. Um from Quirky ninety four. <laughs> Are you disappointed by no North Remember speech? Did the North forget? Very few joined the cause for John or Sansa or Lord Rickon. Mormont's joined because Davos mentioned the dead. All we got was one granny saying the North remembers and offering a candle. <laughs> well, uh, to be fair, that was a... That random granny was, you know, employed by the Starks. So, of course, she would be a little extra loyal to the Starks. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely true that there's less... Show the show North is a lot less gung ho about the Starks than book North. I think that's a fair estimation, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we prefer to see the North be the book North, where they're hyper loyal to the Starks. I think we like that. It's it's compelling. We're used to it. It's fun. But you know, the show didn't do that, and that's their call. It's fine. I don't think it's like stupid or bad writing. It's just what they went with. This isn't one of those plot holes. This is just different. Um, but. I wouldn't be so sure that we haven't seen the North Remembers speech yet. You know, I mean, I mean, rather that we won't see it. It's not 100% certain that we won't see it. Uh, there's still next episode. There's still Jon Snow's arc. There's still Sansa. There's still the White Walkers coming, and that could be related. They could tie that into all this somehow. This may get them to rise up now that the Boltons are out of the way, because as we saw, the Glover, the excuse uh, the Glover, Lord Glover gave was that not only was he pissed off about Rob marrying Talisa, which I think is a very fair point to make, though that did really ruin the war effort. And that's a good reason for any Northern Lord who had sent soldiers to him to feel better. But also Glover pointed out that he's frankly scared of the Boltons. He was like, I could get skinned for even talking to you. And that were, I think those scenes were supposed to show us that that kind of attitude is not uncommon. So now that the Boltons are out of the way, I think we'll see support return from some of the houses that were on the fence. Other thoughts? Yeah, I was disappointed that, that I think that a stirring pro-Stark speech would have done well in that episode where they're trying to kind of gather troops. Uh, you know, I think that it, it just would have been awesome. I, I, I don't expect them to fan service all the time, but I think they missed a trick there. To be, to, just to jump in again before anyone else answers, that's the most popular chapter of all time according to tower of the hand voters and a lot of people have waited on those votes voted for every chapter given it a rating the highest rated chapter in all five books is the north remembers chapter with davos and lord manderley and all that so no wonder people want to see it and i'm with you i want i do want to see it I, I hope it's not too late for it but it might be and i agree with you you know boy that would have been probably the best time for it but yeah but there's still well no there's still one more episode um, there's there's a couple episodes there's a couple opportunities I think. We'll... Hope is still alive, 
as we've been doing with our other episodes, we've saved a few questions to set aside that have to do that refer to trailers and spoilers. So we will save those for the end, maybe the last 20 minutes or so. And the Winds of Winter. And the Winds of Winter, that's right. So we will be dodging those questions during the main portion of this and refer to those at the end. So if you asked a question along those lines, that's the time that it will probably come up. All right, let's move on. All right, uh, we're going to get away from the north for a little while. Uh, from I See Spots. Uh, in episode 8, Tyrion speaks wistfully and mournfully of owning a vineyard in the future. These dreams of the land of milk and honey usually end badly. Does this foreshadow Tyrion's death? Well, the show's subverted that already with Bronn. <laughs> <laughs> Although he still hasn't gotten his happy ending. He's still... That's true. Yeah. But, uh... Yes, but we were sure that that <laughs> was going to end badly for him. Yeah, we remember last season, we were all sure. Bron was our worry of the week. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had Bron, yeah, we've had, we had Bron on the chopping block a couple times. And yeah, he's keeps making it through. boy. Wait, is he Cooper or Darnell? I always forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forget. <laughs> I, I would say that it doesn't foreshadow... Tyrion's death I think that it's just a throwaway line kind of filler dialogue which you know made up most of the Miranese storyline was filler dialogue this season I thought it was meant to show how lonely he was he talks about you know he'll and it'll be only for his friends and then you're think you're left to think well who yeah, are your that, friends Tyrion? you don't have that's what friends. I thought too he was very very got very yeah, that's why introspective he, when he said the word friends <laughs> he's like huh all right, I'm going to have another glass of wine. That's my friend right now, this wine bottle. <laughs> All right. All right, let's, let's move, move on. on. Uh, let's see. How about from Lily Melrose? How do you feel about the fact that the South doesn't seem to notice what is going on in the North? I'm so intrigued as to why the crowd never talk about the North or the issues going on up there. Do they not know or just ignore it? A little, a little buzz, yeah. They're they're too busy with their own problems. And as Littlefinger told Cersei, okay, so Littlefinger tells Cersei that Sansa has married Ramsay Bolton, and Cersei immediately is like, she's immediately gets all angry and is like, we're gonna kill them all. And Cersei and Littlefinger's like, I would counsel patience, Your Grace. Stannis is there too. The Boltons are fighting. Boltons are fighting Stannis. Let them tear each other apart. And then I'll go up there with the Vale Knights and take care of it. But if I do, you'll make me Lord of the Warden of the North, right? And Cersei's like, pretty much says yes to that. She's she's a little more, you know, rulery about it. Like, well, we'll see. You do you do right by the crown, and the crown will do right by you. She doesn't make promises, but it's pretty clear that she's accepted his proposal. So I think Tommen's a young man, and he's. You know, just listening to his advisors. His advisors haven't brought it up as an issue too much. High Sparrow doesn't care. Uh, so I think Cersei's one of the few people that's thought about it. But as Littlefinger explained to her, you know, it's taking care of itself in a lot of ways. And so they're probably concerned about it. But they do have bigger problems. Cersei's hardly even, she's lost most of her power. And that's, you know, she, she really can't be thinking about the North when that's going on. As for like the Tyrells and people like that, yeah, they're just completely oblivious. And that's just generally how they are. All the time. They don't care about the North. <laughs> and that's actually similar to what Tywin said in the books. Tywin says, why should we intervene up there? They're tearing each other apart. Let them, you know, they're both they're both enemies of the crown at this point. Let them beat each other down. And, and we also see it with the, you know, the legends of the North, where where the, uh, in the books, the, the others are coming. And 
in King's Landing, you know, it's just kind of laughed at, really. There's a hand in a jar, isn't there? And kind of everybody laughs. No one, no one really cares. No one believes it. Yeah, that's true. It'd be pretty hard to convince anyone of the, of the truth of that at this point. Maybe later. Later! Once, you know, the walkers are at river in the Riverlands or something like that. It's like, okay, now do you guys believe it? <laughs> <laughs> Notice how cold it is? <laughs> All right, let's move on. All right, let's Good do question, a... Good question, Lily. Yeah, let's do a fun, easy question that's not on here from Derek Hammersley. Which book of the five is everyone's favorite? Uh, it's our first, Feast for Crows. I love it. Yep. Me as well. We talked about that, I think, a couple weeks ago. Two votes uh, for Feast. Yeah. All right. What about you, either of you, whoever has an answer first? Okay, I'll go. I'll say Storm of Swords. I loved Storm of Swords. It just uh, had me on the edge of my seat, and it's my favorite. I'm with you. I Storm of Swords has always been my favorite as well. I love all of them, and I think that the reason Storm of Swords for me is my favorite, partly is because since I love all of them, it's the longest one. Uh, it's actually, I think Dance is slightly longer, but I like Storm more than Dance. Uh, so the quality, the quantity, it's all quality throughout all five. So the quantity actually c comes out ahead. Also, like Yoke Boy said, it's the most exciting one, I think. And it's the first book where we really start to get in the minds of characters that we didn't really understand, like Jamie. Like we saw Theon in book two, and we get Davos. Like those two point of views replace Ned. So... That's not a huge change because Davos is great, but he's not like some conf he's not like a redemptive character that we didn't understand. We already liked Davos in the first place. He's already he's already really cool. Theon, well, Theon doesn't start his redemption until well past Clash of Kings, you know. So he's just gets he just acts terribly and gets killed or gets tortured uh, later or you know gets captured. But we get Jamie and Sam, and you know all these great turnarounds like that and that's just really fun for me so yeah that was a long answer but so two votes for feast and two for sword or storm yeah i love all the carnage in the second half of storm you get the the purple wedding red wedding and the mountain versus the the viper it's just like you said the most exciting i understand why people like feast you too it's it's you know it's definitely not the most exciting but perhaps the, the best written yeah. Yeah, I'll say to expand on my answer, I suppose, the reason I like the most is that I think it's the true expansion of the world because you see the Iron Islands and Dorne there, and I think that's when it really starts to feel more complete, seeing more mm. of the regions. Uh, even though we still have a big hole that we don't see the West or, or, or the Reach, really. We well, see those char characters from there. We see the characters so we from there, there. but um, that's when it, yeah, uh, really fills out for me. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I agree also with what you said. Your point that a lot of people like Feast because they, they consider it the, the best written. I can't disagree with that. Some of the, it's got some of the best written parts: the Septon Maribald, Elder Brother, Maester Aemon's death. Mm. Yeah, and of course, it's another also important to point out that these that Storm is like the end. It's like a three acts three act arc, and Feast is like reset starting the second act and dance is continuing with that because Feast and Dance are together. So Feast and Dance are a lot like Game of Thrones, setting up the next several books. And so it's kind of, it's, it's that's part of why people were disappointed is because Storm is so epic and then it's it's back to setup when some people, you know, want to continue with the epicness rather than going to setting up the future. But, you know, I think in, I think history will be kinder to feast and dance than, than they were when they first came out. All right, let's see, let's move on then. Uh, from Helene May, 
She asks, regarding the ghost of High Heart's prophecy about Book Sansa, is Littlefinger the giant titan? Uh, and could this mean that Littlefinger could die at Winterfell in the show this week? I definitely put Littlefinger on the worry list, which is something we do at the end of every episode. And I mean, not like I'm worried, like, oh, no, don't kill Littlefinger. But I think his, his death is imminent. Maybe not next episode imminent, but yeah, I don't think this his plan is going to work out. His plan to be Winterfell, take Winterfell, be Lord of Warden of the North and Mary Sansa. And I, just, I just don't see that happening for him. And uh, I don't know that there's going to be an escape for him. Yeah, I, I don't see him dying next episode. I think if he's going to die, there's still a bit more build-up, you know, some tension, proposing to Sansa, and then she's got a really tricky decision. You know, you, you'd hope that she says no, but, you know, it's quite a tasty offer if you look at it from another angle in her position. So the, I think there's more tension to be built up before something happens and Sansa turns on him. And th that's what I, you know, I predict, along with a lot of other people th that will happen. And she could be the person that, you know, carries a sentence and carries the sword too, as a Stark. Yeah, I agree. Next, uh, probably not next episode, but it's being set up for that, for him to die at Winterfell at some point, probably next season. I definitely think Sansa's going to do it. I think Littlefinger is... In the books, uh, the giant that uh, she's going to slay. So we shall see. I have a question to pose to us as a group, which I this is something that when I was reading the questions last night, looking, kind of getting myself prepared to like give some, give some initial thoughts, kind of prep, etc. I, I considered that there's two popular beliefs as to what will happen in the North, in the books, that is. And I realized that they don't necessarily work. So one of them... Can't, they can't both work, I don't think. Uh, I don't see how they could. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. And these things are. Okay, so we have Stannis' situation, which is people expect him to maybe to at least defeat Ramsay and maybe to lose to Roos, but maybe to beat Roos, and then that leads to him holding Winterfell and against the Walkers, and then that's when he burns Shireen in his hour of desperation because it's against the Walkers and they're all going to die anyway. How does that fit in with the idea that Littlefinger and the Vale will come to rescue Winterfell? Are they really going to rescue Stannis? Stannis' Winterfell? Are they going to come up to the north when the walkers are already a, a major factor there? I don't know that the Stannis victory fits with Littlefinger coming to the I rescue. Guess I don't really think, I don't really know why it has to be at Winterfell's rescuing Stannis' Winterfell, his last stand. It doesn't have to be, but still, like, where would he be? Like, wh who, what, what are they coming to rescue Winterfell from if, if, if Stannis is defeated? Like, in other words, Stannis either has to be defeated by the Boltons, or Littlefinger, then, if Stannis isn't defeated by the Boltons, then how, or defeated in general, then who is Littlefinger coming to rescue Winterfell from? See what I'm saying? Those are just two popular theories, and I don't think they work together. That's what I'm saying. I think Stannis will win the first battle, the battle at the lake, but I don't think he's going to take Winterfell. I think that okay. will be that that could make I think Ramsay will be left inside Winterfell. I don't think the the Boltons, you know, notice that you know they sent out the Freys and the Manderleys, uh, and leaving themselves inside. So standard Bolton yeah, practice: use the right. uh, use the other troops. <laughs> exactly, they use their less valuable troops. So they'll be in there preparing for a siege. Is what I believe. I think Stannis will ultimately retreat. Uh, away from Winterfell, and what Littlefinger is promising Sansa is to give her back Winterfell, not necessarily who. So I, 
imagine he's going to try to take it back from the Boltons at some point. Mm. And Stannis also, the other thing with the Stannis situation is, well, if he's going to burn Shireen, well, he has to be reunited with her first. Right. He, she's at the wall right. and he's on campaign. That something has to happen. There right. Too. Which is why I think he'll probably retreat from Winterfell in some sort of defeat, go to the Night Fort. And that's where all this is, bad stuff is going to go down. Starts to go really desperation. bad dark for him. Yeah. Okay, that could fit. I could see that working. It's definitely interesting that we narrow these things down a bit more. Sometimes when we theorize, we don't consider other theories. We just consider the, the material in a vacuum. And uh, that's kind of an interesting thought process there. Okay, well, let's get back to questions from you guys, the Watchners. How about an easy question? Will we get the Winds of Winter book before the start of Season 7? Uh... We hope so. Yeah, we hope so. We have no way to know. It's honestly, that's, George is learned over the years to not give estimates. He's not good at it. Um, yeah. Like a lot of creative people, he's not good at estimating how long his process will take. And we don't have, we honestly have no more information than you guys do. <laughs> he is notoriously tight-lipped about it. He doesn't tell, he doesn't tell Elio and Linda. He doesn't tell his, his publishers. He doesn't, he doesn't really tell anyone. He's just like, when it's done, it's done. Okay, I will say I will say that the the signals I was getting when we went to Balticon to see George weren't really good. He read out an Aaron chapter that is you know three or four years old to our knowledge, and afterwards he says, "Oh, there was a lot of mistakes in there. You know, it hadn't 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 gone over it or anything. It, this isn't someone that's got a book right around the corner." I'm not saying that means it's going to take a year or two years, but he certainly hasn't kind of got it in his back pocket waiting. Yeah, we're not going to hear of an announcement right at the end of the season here, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't seem likely. To be fair, we still haven't gotten to the length of the, the time between the last book. You know, the, the time between Feast and Dance was longer than what we're at right now, although we're getting, we're starting to get close. Hmm. All right, All right, next that's... question. Okay, how about this some great joy questions from Garam again do you think there's a possibility Danny will betray Yara and Theon after after meeting Euron she does have a thing for bad boys mm. I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so I think she's got a, a bad first impression of him now from what Yara and Theon have said Euron had to be really really persuasive yeah I don't know that yeah I agree with you that the setup that they've given for him will play out to be true too she'll see the truth of that probably i think maybe in the books there's something to be said for this but it's harder to it's really harder to, to it's really hard to figure out danny is yeah she does everything for bad boys but she's also you know in that aging curve where she's learning a lot all the time and i think she's even realizing she's realized how bad news dario is even though she's mm -hmm. with him she has inner thoughts that show that she realizes he's bad news and I think that shows her growth and I think that Dario and Euron as much as they're bad boys they're still miles apart I mean mm -hmm. Dario is is Dario is a classic bad boy Euron is more of a like a straight-up villain I mean <laughs> you, you know? also have to compare it to Drogo as well yeah she did fall for she did that's true and Drogo is pretty was pretty, pretty bad and violent and brutal but uh, he did treat her well <laughs> which I don't think Euron would you know, he, although Euron is capable of pretending to treat someone well, you know, he's very, book Euron is extremely charismatic, and I think that show Euron will probably, clearly has some charisma, 
maybe not to the level of book you're on, but hey, he's just got introduced. We don't even know if he's going to have a scene in the next episode. We really just scratch the surface of show you're on. We, we don't really know where they're going with him. Uh, it's, I'm optimistic, but hey, yes, I usually am. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Can I, can I just say, sorry, can I just say that Danny liked Drogo more when she realized that she could change him and change him for the better. She, that's what I think one of the things she fell for in him was he was actually willing to slowly kind of change and she saw her effect on him. And, you know, in that sense, it's a bit different from Euron. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take our mid-episode ad break and we'll be right back with plenty more questions. There's lots of good ones still to come. All right, Cher, what's the next question? What you got? Here we go from Wilkins75. Since we have seen so many people come back on the show, will the rowing champion of Westeros, Gendry, <laughs> return to the show, or will he still be rowing? I think there's a chance he'll return. It seems like a lot of people that return just get killed. Yeah, that's the problem. Do we want him to return, given that fate? <laughs> so many OSHA, Rickon. There will be a big Blackfish. vacuum in King's Landing, which is a... Which is a potential place for Gendry to come into play. Yeah, Tommen's death could mean that they go. Someone goes looking for Gendry. We're all just so assuming Tommen's <laughs> dead. Poor kid. <laughs> hey, the the Balancar. <laughs> go ahead. Hey, I always wondered in the books if Gendry could show up at the Night's Watch because they need a new smith. And wondered if that could also fit in with a TV show. Although I'm not hoping that it will show up again. You know, it's pretty unlikely. But it it'd be nice if he was part of the you know great battle against the White Walkers and he was doing his smithing. You know, making some dragon glass arrows or something. Hey, that's actually really cool because it ties into the earlier question of hey, will the Brotherhood without banners go north in the books? Um, mm -hmm. If they do, there you go. There's Gendry's opportunity uh, to take um, Donald Noyes place yeah i think so, Gendry, cool. so we think gendry's just gonna row right up to east watch by the sea it's all the way <laughs> and it really it makes so much sense for outlaws to like this is their way out to take the black uh -huh. you know because they're we were seeing how their their options are limited they're they're falling they're losing their sense of mercy and justice and they're kind of going the dark route this would be a way for them to do good <laughs> all right let's move on then uh, i think we all are just hopeful for Gendry. Um, another oh, great joy question. Wow, Guillaume's really killing it with the questions. Yeah, Guillaume, good job with the questions, buddy. <laughs> How does Yara intend to transform the whole Ironborn society, culture, and economy? We saw how quickly the Ironborn decided to go for Euron and the old way over Yara and the new way when given a chance. Plus, they don't have any resources to trade. I'll have a few thoughts. One, with fire and blood, Daenerys has the power to cow them all. These dragons, as Yara is seeing. And two, that is, Yara is thinking of doing that. She wants to do that in the books. And she wants to take some crucial spots just on the coast that will give them stones and things trees. That, and trees <laughs> so that they can build stuff. Um, it's not the greatest life, but she has some sort of a plan. And I assume it's probably a little similar. I agree. And I, I actually gave this question a lot of thought. And I, um, I think it's a really good question. Because I love to think about these sort of logistical things like that. And I think there's more there than, than you might think. Sure, it's true that they don't have a lot of resources to trade. It's not that they have none. They do have iron. They're called the Iron Islands not just because they're called the Ironborn and that's their nickname. But because there is a good amount of um, iron deposits there in the islands. And we've learned from the World of Ice and Fire that they are very good at making armor and weapons. They have good smiths there. So 
they don't have a lot of natural resources to export, but they have expertise that they can export or import out. In other words, import out? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Anyway, shipbuilding. They are expert shipbuilders. They could either, they could farm out that shipbuilding to other regions. They could say, hey, we build these great ships. We'll build them, especially you got to provide us the lumber to do it. We Then we build it, give it back. You have good ships. They can charge plenty for that. And that creates a lot of jobs, like a shipbuilding you know, shipyard is a lot of employed people. And same goes for the weapons. You know, you can make armor and, and they can import more iron if their own resources go short. They can continue to, you know, make weapons and armor and sell that abroad to, you know, in, in, enhance their trade, go around the world rather than just trading with the Seven Kingdoms. There's a lot of, when you have ships, you have a lot of options when you have ships. So it, it is, the cultural challenge is bigger. It's not that, and I do think that it's, this is a, this is a real world thing in a lot of ways it's they part of the reason they resort to reaving is because they're they're they have a impoverished lifestyle they're, the islands are impoverished so trade is uh, can uplift them in terms of economy and opportunity and then not everyone will just turn to violence it's not as simple as that but that's but it's a big factor that helps anyone else have thoughts on that i don't think so all right, cool. So we just have to hope it plays out that way. It might be just yada yada in the, in the show. I think that's more likely what the books will, will do for us. But Yeah, and lo, they were happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's working. The Iron Islands is it's happy and, and functional, <laughs> etc. <cetera. laughs> just tell us. <laughs> uh, here's a question for us. Let's see, from Kara Cummings. Or Kara, I think Kara. In the last episode, John said to bury Rickon in the crypts with his father, but Lord Eddard was not buried in the crypts, was he? I don't know if in the show they guys bones got sent up there. Yeah, there's no Lady Dustin to steal his bones and feed them to her dog, so <laughs> I, I guess we can assume the bones did make it north in the show. If not, they certainly did carve the statue, and so that's... And, and John doesn't necessarily know one way or He could just be wrong. He was at the wall when Eddard was executed. So even if there was a Lady Dustin, even if there was someone messing with the bones, he wouldn't necessarily know. Sansa could correct him. I mean, like, uh, actually, it's just a statue. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't think we have any other information there I think it's a simple add. answer there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe a little more complicated answer here. Um, mm, good question. From Alejandro Gato. Gato? Oh. Alejandro G. What basis is there for Littlefinger knowing about R plus L? In both books and show, he would not have realistically been privy to that information. And how do you think John would react to his lineage, regardless of who gives him the information? Anyone want to start us off? Yoke boy. Great. Okay. Um, let's talk about the show. So Littlefinger seems to know about RLJ. He could have just figured it out. He's a very smart guy. John... Doesn't have you know who who's John's mother? There's this mystery. This kid gets brought to Winterfell. Uh, Littlefinger might be privy to some information that Lyanna, you know, could have taken a fancy to Rhaegar, and he could have put it all together. You know, he he could have worked it out. He's he's a very smart guy, like I said. He, he might it might be a bit of guesswork, but. Well, look at all of us. Uh, presumably, he'd have similar information to what we have. Maybe not as much. Certainly, uh, could have figured it out. At first, I didn't think it made any sense that he knew this in the show. But it makes a lot of sense for him to uh, keep his to, to think about this sort of thing because it relates to Catelyn. Right. Exactly. So you know, it's yes. it's not that it's not a 
strange plot mm-hmm. twist that doesn't make sense, I think. And um, how will John, or are we going on to this? Did you read the yeah. second yeah, part of the question? <laughs> okay. Um, I think uh, John's reaction is going to be disbelief first of all uh you know but he'll be definitely relieved or you know kind of in awe to learn something about his mother i don't think it'll be so much about his father right away it's gonna be about the mother because that's the person the big hole in his life that he's thought a lot about through all the years of his life so yeah because ned still raised him he's still he may not be a sire but he's still the father figure that you know, he's not going to be like, oh, well, that's that's done. Right. You know? <laughs> he's like, oh, new dad. Never mind about him. Yeah. <laughs> he'll probably be conflicted about all that. But I definitely yeah, think yeah, he'll yeah. be more concerned with finding out that, you know, he, his mother has a face and a name. So. so much has to do, depend on as well, like how it's presented to him. If Littlefinger presents it to him as like, hey, you're our heir to the throne. That's a much bigger deal than just, hey, your father, your mother was Lyanna Stark, you know, and your father was Rhaegar. Because uh, he's not, he may not go there in his mind like, oh, I'm heir to the throne. <laughs> you know, after thinking that, <laughs> right? And consider that uh, what you know, the way Littlefinger presented to Sansa, she she sort of echoed the Bran knowledge from the books that uh, Rhaegar abducted Lyanna and raped her. So, you know, he could be getting from Littlefinger and Sansa that he's a bastard born of rape, uh, and which is maybe different than what he would get from Bran, for instance, if he gets the story from him. Yeah, talk about just the increasing all the existential crisis around John. First, he comes back from the dead. Now he's like, wait, my father wasn't my father. My mother was my father's sister. Like, what on earth? And, and I was born, I'm a bastard born of rape rather than of, you know, a woman on campaign or whatever story he's been told. Mm-hmm. I guess he hasn't been told much of a story at all. Huh? What's that? Or he, or he could realize he was born a king. It's it, there's some good <laughs> yeah. possibilities for John. It's yeah. So like we say, it depends a lot on how it's presented to him and who presents it to him. But yeah, I think shock and disbelief will be the overwhelming thing. And I definitely echo what you guys say about how John or how Littlefinger will know that he just probably just figured it out. Honestly, when I used to tell when I, back in the day, when I would try to convince people of R plus L equals J. I mean, I'm talking about like 10 years ago. I would present it that way. I'd be like, do you really think Ned Stark is the type of person that would have a bastard? Like the everything we've learned out about, about him, does that really make sense to you? If you really think about it, like I know you presented initially that he has one, but thinking back on it, does it really ever make, does it really fit his personality? And people are like, huh, I guess not. Littlefinger would, would have caught that right away. He's, he's very astute and perceptive. So hmm. he'd have been on the trail right away. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. How about this question, um, also to do with the North? Is the she bear the torment fucked Mage Mormont? He says that John is prettier than his daughters, so they probably weren't good looking. Liana says she will not be a great beauty. Her mother wasn't either. Don't know who fathered Mage's kids. Torment? I'll say in the in the uh, in the show, I think we might have seen a little glimpse of his daughters. Oh really? You're there. I thought that hmm. I thought that we saw him greet a little girl. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but um, I don't recall that. But it's possible. I saw an interview where I I did see an interview specifically with the actor who plays Tormund, where he talked about being a father and what he knows about Tormund's character and how he's a father okay. and how he'd like to see scenes with them together. Hmm. 
Yeah. So, interesting. I, yeah. I don't recall any of that from the show, but I just definitely in the books, I am aboard this ship. I like the theory that Tormund stole one of Umber's daughters because that's actually stated that when Umber's daughter was stolen and I think the timeline works for when that happens um, and that would be Giant's Bane you know that would be kind of fitting you know mm -hmm. the giant Umber giant is the Giant's Bane yeah. It has nothing to do with the bear story. It doesn't no. mean that at all. But and then to, to further spin out, I favor the idea that Val is the Umber granddaughter. Yeah. Val oh, Bella cool. Are the Umbers are the daughters of that Umber girl. Hmm. I've never even heard that idea before. That's oh, we can talk cool. about that later. <laughs> it's, it's totally <laughs> off topic. <laughs> yeah. I'm also, I think that I'm, I like theory in the book so i don't think it's relevant in the show yeah they probably don't have time for that in the show <laughs> no they don't really do these big elaborate theories do they mm -hmm. so. but they might have time for Tormund to marry someone and take one of the houses that one of these empty vacated houses now assuming they're vacated yeah he's just gonna marry brienne and then he doesn't need a house he's gotta go down to tarth <laughs> what if they try to ma oh never mind liana who's gonna say what if they try to marry him to liana She's oh just yeah about that's not yeah. that's not Ewey. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not big, a bit too much of an age difference for the show at this point. Uh, they have Lawalder still doing it with his young bride, so I don't know. So let's still steer that clear of it. Uh, okay. Okay, let's move on. How about this one from Alex Stroop? What about the two truths, one lie game that Sophie and Maisie played? I doubt Lady Stoneheart is returning, but how can Arya kill three people on her list in one episode? If you've been listening to us throughout the season, you you remember us talking about the two truths and one lie uh, game that they played. I'm pulling up right now what the actual statements were. At this point, I can't help but think they just... Whatever they said, they misstated it somehow, because I don't know how I can actually... Be true. She doesn't even have three people left on her list, really, as far as her recent list. <laughs> well, I guess she has exactly three if you count the mountain. Yeah, so, okay, here, I got, I got it open real quick. Um, she says, Arya goes to Westeros back over the sea. Arya is in the trailer more times than people have realized because they don't realize it's her. Arya doesn't cross any more names off her list. And then Sophie Turner said, Ramsay dies. Lady Stoneheart returns. Arya checks three people off her list. Well, Ramsay does die, and what the Arya statements are, they clash with each other. Yeah. So it really just doesn't make that much sense to me personally. I, I don't know what to interpret from it. Yeah, it's very confusing. It seems, I agree, it's conflicting. And delving too deep into this might be a little spoilery in, in general. It could, it could be that Sophie and, and uh, Maisie are just having a laugh at our expense trying to analyze this code. So, Yeah, it could be like Sir, uh, Lena putting, doing the Stoneheart thing. Um, if you guys remember, she tweeted an image of uh, a bunch of stones arranged like a heart and everybody was like, oh, Stoneheart! But uh, obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> so yeah, we could be getting, we could have been trolled. <laughs> um, I'd like to point out that it she says crosses names off her list doesn't mean that she kills the people and so if those people die in this season they're crossed off yeah. her list you're right she doesn't say she kills them so like yeah perhaps walder cersei and the mountain all die but 
I don't think that's happening in the next episode. <laughs> oh, no, I don't. So I don't know how. <laughs> Walter, it works, maybe. But except that if maybe she doesn't kill any of them. Yeah. And. But then, yeah, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work because then Lady Stoneheart returns, and we really don't think she's going to be in the show. So. Really, just no. Yeah, I just super does. The evidence is so against it now. Yeah, so basically, we spent a lot of time thinking about this all season, and. Uh, it seems like they were a little bit trolling us here. <laughs> or that it got taken out of context. I don't know. But we'll find out next next week. Yeah, next we week. sure will. Uh, all right, let's move on. Um, question from Jill W. Do you think that the waif is now wearing Arya's face? I don't think the show would ever do that as much yeah. as I think it would be an interesting thing to do. In cool a idea, situation, but yeah. But yeah. Arya's not dead. <laughs> They're not getting rid of Arya. <laughs> Real Arya. I don't think you guys have any thoughts. I think that's pretty cut and dry. Uh, here's a funny joke referencing when we were talking about John, the musician from Straw Man. They say John's new single as a hybrid minstrel, minstrel slash hip hop act. Give me the loot. Oh God, give me the loot is a Biggie song, notorious oh. B.I.G. And this so. is a play on words that I really like. Okay. <laughs> nice L U T E, pun. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. I had to, I had to select that one. Well All right. played. Well played. Let's talk a little bit about Sam. Okay. From yes. Ashley, uh, Ashley W. Do you think Sam will meet Marwin or the show version of him, or do you think he's going to be cut? I think he's going to meet. He's going to meet some sort of. May start, it seems. He's going to stop by Old Town. Uh, we don't know. I think we might get Marwin Light. Yeah, someone who gives Sam some important information and then is never seen again. Mm -hmm. It'll be kind but... of like Ray Deceptin that, you know, mm -hmm. create Ray. a different kind of... <laughs> they'll, probably, they'll call him, I don't know, Bill. <laughs> Septon Bill. Bill. <laughs> Bill. Yeah, Bill the Maester. <laughs> Maester Bill, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I don't really, th I guess, yeah, I'm kind of thinking that the Macer won't be as cool as Marwin is. So I yeah. don't know how similar it'll be to I him. Agree. But uh, let's move on then. Here's a fun little question from Wilkins75. If you could have one of the actor or actresses on our show to talk about their character, who would you have on? And what would you ask him or her? Mm. Someone, definitely, I would narrow it down to, to one who's read the books. Yeah, I already have my answer. Well, you go ahead. I don't have mine. Hello, Asbeck, because he's even read the New Winds of Winter chapter. He's he's in on the Euron thoughts. And he said, fuck yeah, Euron Greyjoy when he was cast. He was like, oh. I'm excited. Yeah, that's cool. So anyone who's excited to be their role and play their character, I think that's a And, and yeah, plus. anyone that's read the books, I think, as well, because it's a lot more for us to talk about with them than... The average one, which um, yeah, I, I still have I wanted to like compile a list of all the ones who've read the books so that we know without a doubt who's read the books because I know like the actor who played Barristan had or Sansa re Sophie Turner reads only her chapters or etc. There's a lot of differences between them. Right on. What about you guys? Has Nikolai read the books? I, I don't think, think so. Okay. I don't think so. I don't remember that. I de uh, definitely. I'm not sure though. Well, yeah, I would, yeah, I, I, him. I would like to ask, you know, about the the changes to the character, but you know, if he hasn't read the books, I guess that those questions wouldn't really make sense to him. So, <laughs> you know, what would be great would be uh, Liam Cunningham Davos. He's yeah. just seeing him interviewed. He's he. I've seen a lot of interviews with him, and he's always awesome. He's always really funny. It's true. And like, so that would be a win. Also, he's my favorite book character, so that that helps. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, boy, what about you? Oh man. 
<laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't ask me because I'd I'd like to uh, <laughs> I'd like to talk to Carice about Melisandre because I'm a big oh. Melisandre fan. So I'd probably <laughs> ask her, you know, about her kind of uh, you know the Lord of Light and uh, how I can sign up. <laughs> You could sign up. <laughs> you got to burn someone to get in. <laughs> okay. Good. All right. That's all of our answers. Let's see. So Acre Frey says, wouldn't the perfect time from a sales point of view to mention T-Wild being released be just after the final episode of the season? I don't think it matters. I, it's I, gonna uh, be huge. It it's, doesn't matter. It's going to just be an instant bestseller. I'm not sure it matters that much either. Maybe there is more to it than we think. We're none of us are marketing experts, book publishing experts. But, oh, Lady Gwen's got some thoughts. Lady Gwen does have more insight than the rest of us on book sales and uh, timing because you uh, have that experience. Yeah, the, the, the best time for them to announce the release is obviously when George is done with it but if they were going to there's two times there's probably there's three peak times to release a book October January and um July January that's interesting why do you do you know why it's January January because uh people give uh gift cards for Christmas uh, that is, that's a huge thing. So in the book mm. world, you see tons of new releases mm. in January. Mm. January is not... also the worst month for movie releases. Hollywood <laughs> is, is the, that's the least, you get it? the least amount of new movies released. That's, that's partly why I was surprised to hear you say that books yeah. is popular in January because movies are like super not popular in January. Yeah. So, but I mean, with a book of this caliber, I don't think, you know, yeah. they're going to be, you know, that would be something if they were like trying to encourage people to buy it because January is a peak time for shopping. But um, October was, would be my guess, or the summer one, which is... Uh, July, which is what they've done before. Which is what they've done before. And, you know, a lot of big, big, like the Harry Potter books all came out in July. Um, but they again... Come out, they come out in July for a different reason as well, because that's Harry Potter's birthday. Oh, really? Well, actually, yeah. no, they that's came good. out in They started releasing them in July because um, of Midnight Magic Parties and, mm -hmm. and they um, summertime school. They have to... Yeah, summertime for school children. The, the earlier books were released during the school year, which kind of messed up because mm. um, books always come out on a Monday night or a Tuesday yeah. morning. So um, they moved it to July, both to get it in sync with Harry and also yeah. to take advantage of the school children mm -hmm. being able to stay up all night. Hmm. But cool. they don't really have to do that with George, and I'm to be honest, I'm not sure yeah. that the midnight parties will be a thing. With I, I wish it could be. <laughs> They'll just be dancing this. in the streets yeah. while I'll be yeah. like, ah, it's out, it's done, <laughs> yay! <laughs> well, I'll just get our ebooks delivered at yeah at midnight. That'll yeah. be the midnight party ebook and, and audio book. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or three in the morning, depending. Time yeah, it's not quite midnight. I did it with Dance with Dragons, but it is sooner than the bookstores open the next morning. So. Absolutely. Sooner than that pre-ordered copy arrives. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's move on from that exciting thought. Uh, from Reef M, do you think the show might end up giving John some of some of Aegon Young Griff's role from the book? Hmm. I never thought about that possibility because John just is above Aegon in importance in the books and so him taking on the, the plot lines of a lesser character is interesting. Um, I guess I can't say no. I'm not really sure. That's a, that's a good question, at least that it, I can't answer easily. <laughs> Anyone else have thoughts on that? I just think John's, John's got a, you know, a date with uh, the Night King. 
and he's going to go north. It's simple for me, so so no, unfortunately. Right. I actually, I actually think Danny's going to take on Aegon's role in the, you know, because she's going to go to Dorne, and uh, I think it'll be more of uh, her absorbing some of Aegon's stuff. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yes, I like that idea. All right, uh, and of course, let's see. Let's get some complimentary questions, comments here. <laughs> From Antoine Serena, man, I love your voice accent. <laughs> right on. You. How nice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am English to the core. I'm glad you like my accent. I hope it's like James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> you In future episodes, you're going to have to uh, be broadcasting while holding a martini. Uh, another compliment. Um, for me, It's not for me. It's for my cup. Um, I have a little BB-8 mug here, and um, I. the question is from Alex Stroop. I love that BB-8 cup. It's on Amazon. Aziz got it for me for Valentine's Day. That's I love right. it, too. It's a very big cup. It is a All right. Cup. So I've had a chance to find another question. You know, this is a nice positive question from Nicolina. Uh, what was the best thing in this season so far for each of us? Hi, Nico. Um, yeah. Best thing this season for me. Ooh. Tough question. I wish I had looked at this question ahead of time so I could have time to think I can answer. It. Yeah, go Leanna ahead. Leanna Mormont. Oh, good call. Good call. <laughs> All right. Anyone else have an answer yet? Right off the top? These questions are always hard for me. I'm always bad at favorite moments, favorite question, etc. Uh, man, I know I'm going to like think of it. As soon as we move past this question, I'm going to think of it. Do you guys have an answer, Yoke Boy or, or Lady Gwen? So I'm floundering. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bite because I have a hard time with it too. But I'm just gonna take something you know that's recent and say also hi Nico and uh, Ramsey getting eaten by his dogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. No, I've got it. I thought of it. My favorite moment this this season was burn them all. <laughs> because uh, yes. <laughs> i was so first of all we were at balticon in a room for 300 people so it was just a little the energy and excitement was there and it was just really unexpected and just just like terrifying the actor like his voice and delivery was really good and i was just like i just sat up like oh yeah damn there's mad king so yeah that was really fun I, yeah. I think i'm gonna go with the the sheer panic of the human scrum in the in the battle episode nice. when when the editing started getting really quick and you you did, just didn't know what was going on and stuff and i really felt like my chest was caving in kind of thing i really you know was affected by that so that's good tv if it can affect you like that that's a good point all right it's good everyone's favorites i like i <laughs> liked everyone's guesses there i want to hear other people's favorites because that's fun to just relive yeah, all the best moments tell us your favorite. yeah yeah definitely folks uh send us your favorite moments maybe we'll recap some of them at the end of our wrap-up episode for the season or something along those lines uh here we go it's a good question from alejandro g again um does it bother you guys that dd and company have to resort to after show commentary to explain characters motives should, uh, shouldn't they be able to portray the essentials dramatically during the show? That's the thing a lot of people talk about. It's really common, though, for... Maybe maybe it wasn't as common 20 years ago, 
but it's really common now, and they do it even less than some. Like a lot of those shows have after shows that are an hour long, where they yeah. where the creators talk about Talking it. Dead, talk, Talking Bad, After the Black. There's all yeah review review shows are becoming like a thing, and and these are like like you said an hour or half hour long. This is just a five minute thing. And frankly, look at how much we have to pour over the books to find out some details sometimes. Like, George basically requires you to read the books at least twice to get them. I mean, oh, we've talked a million times in the podcast I've mentioned. George will bring up the answer before he even reveals the question. So you have to reread it to realize that you've seen the answer to the question that he's posed. So, I mean, if that's the case in the books, I don't think it's that different in the show. You know, if you just have to read between the lines a lot. Sometimes there's too much to catch everything. So I don't think it's a bad... It doesn't bother me. To The simple answer, no. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't bother, bother me. Does it bother either of you, Lady Gwynn? Yeah. Yes. Well, <laughs> it bothers me. Uh, and I don't mind the after the episodes. I like the, the insight and, in you know, some of that is good. What bothers me is that they have to resort to saying... When George told us, oh yeah, that's this horrible. spoilery stuff, and they notice they only do it when it's been something very bad. Um, that you know, they they could just let those things kind of stand on their own and leave it up to mystery, you know, future books, whatever, to answer those questions. I don't like it when they. Uh, it's it's almost like finger pointing. We didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. We didn't kill Shireen. George told us to do it. Uh, I think Did they he should tell you to do it like that. Take, right, exactly. And they they don't <laughs> then they don't clarify that, which really irritates me. So I think they should just leave that stuff, you know, to stick yeah. stand for itself. And I think I remember that they said they were going to leave that stuff. I'd heard people say, but then they still did they it again it, yeah. for the Hodor. Yeah, that began, and I was very angry about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Burn them all! <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely, every time I, op- I turn it on, I'm like hoping that I'm not going to get, when George told us that this is how Recon dies, when George told us that Sansa does the, you know. What? Recon's going to be shot by Ramsay? <laughs> Damn, that means Ramsay survives the Battle of Ice or wins yeah. the Battle of Ice. Shit. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move on from icy spots with ten upvotes. Have we seen the last of the faceless men on the show? Is there a big, bigger faceless men long game for Arya in the books after her departure? Are faceless men working with the Iron Bank, Iron Iron Bank, foreshadowed perhaps by the use of an iron coin? I would guess that we've seen the last of the faceless men in the show. Yeah. Uh, the books, not by a long shot, because uh, there's we know there's faceless men active and at least one faceless man active in Westeros, probably Jockin, uh, at the at the Citadel. So there's a lot. I think there's a lot more to do there. A lot more subtlety and nuance. But yeah, I think the show's just flat out done with the faceless men. They might be done with the Iron Bank too. Just they're just gonna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys agree with that? Uh, yes, I do. And I feel like I should have, in terms of the books, I should have a better answer because I think someone asked us a very similar question at Balticon, and I haven't given it enough thought to, you know, have a better answer for the books, but I don't think we'll see much of it in the show. I think there's a possibility that in the books, the the faceless men could be big players, you know? They like like Aziz said, we've got Jacken doing something in the Citadel. The I feel like they've got an end game, whereas on the show they were you know, they were just they didn't. They were they were just assassins. There's part of Arya's story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. 
Okay, let's move on. Uh, to answer your second part of your question, though, by the way, I, I do think that they're working with the Iron Bank, for sure, um, in the books. At least to some degree, I agree. Some like, degree. No, not like, yes. they, They're both founding organizations <laughs> yeah. of Bravos. Yeah. It's like impossible that they would be aware of each other, you know? <laughs> not having any sort of tie at all would be kind of hard yeah. to believe. <laughs> uh, okay, with six upvotes from Waffles the Andal, uh, when are we going to see some Kranig men? I love those little bastards. Waffle the Edel, the Syrup Knight. <laughs> I don't know that we'll see it in the show, personally. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, Howland Reed, they may not have to do Howland Reed on the show at all. I mean, it they, they looks like they've got this whole Definitely brand flashback him. and Littlefinger maybe to, to, to handle that. Yeah, well, he's right. We, we did see him. You're right. We've seen three. I mean, adult version. I don't know that yeah. we can see him. Yeah. And Mira seems to have a large role still. I don't think she's gonna. I think she's gonna survive with Bran and make it out of the north uh, or out of the beyond the walls. And if she does that, then, then her odds are looking pretty good. But that might be about it. But I do think we'll see a little more of them in the books. I think um, we'll see Helen Reed in the books for sure. Mm -hmm. Out of the circumstances, I have no idea. <laughs> do you guys have any thoughts on when we'll see Helen Reed in the books? That's an interesting side question that relates to this. Any theories there? In the winds of winter. <laughs> Nice. All right. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't know what POV I think it would be, for instance. Yeah. Not, good, not too good sure. Question. Hmm. Who thought? Uh, let's move. I'm thinking of food now that I read that name. Waffles the end all. Uh, Where's uh, the egg night? <laughs> the bacon night. <laughs> all right. Lord Orange Juice. <laughs> Uh, from Ninja's Ounce. I'm going to go with Ounce. <laughs> Ninja's Ounce. <laughs> uh, will Danny take Ashley Yara up on her saucy flirtation and take her to bed, with or without Dario? She does explore her sexuality with female bedmates in the books, but they're her handmaids and subordinates. Yara would be closer to an equal, more experienced. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, I do wonder, do we get a shot? Uh, uh, spoiler. Anyways, we just see a shot of Danny talking to Dario. That's not a big spoiler. I already brought up the sentence. Yeah. So I wonder what she's talking to Dario about. Uh, I wonder about that, too. I think they might. It would be... It's not fan service so much as, you know, like, dude service to, <laughs> to have a scene like that. But even Amelia Clark is, is kind of interested in it. So, <laughs> like, so it also, a lot of women would like to see that, too. It's not just dude service, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's not just... Uh... But... I think there's a chance they go that route. I think Yara should do that. I think if Yara, Yara's smart, and she's like, hey, if I can get her into bed, that this alliance is in good shape. <laughs> so, like, from an ambition point of view, it makes a lot of sense. True. And Danny seemed interested. She, like, gave that grin. She's like, yeah, I'm up for it. That's why she, but, you know, she might, is she going to be that awkward with, like, in bed? She's in she, the handshake. What is this? What are you offering me, this handshake? I don't know, like. Was she going to be, what is that term from Orange is the New Black? Pillow princess? Oh. <laughs> <I love so laughs> Danny just lies there and doesn't do anything. Yara has to do all the work. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't take her head off the pillow. That's where that term comes from. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, maybe uh, yeah, Yara would be smart to get in on uh, Dario, get, fr get friendly with him, perhaps. Yes. That's true. Yes. Maybe Theon will take Dario over. And well, yeah, distract Dario. Dario. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I'm not super hopeful about that happening, although at least not this season. But the fact that Amelia Clark is for it and pushing for it presumably makes it a little more likely to happen next season. It might, yeah. You wonder if she's seen. I don't think. I kind of doubt that they already have a script for her for season seven. But if she's, you know, seen it, that might be like 
a little yeah. being a little cheeky foreshadowing or something if she already knows this is going to happen. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, so maybe she's just getting our hopes up about this. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Anyways, uh, let's move on to from Leo Willis. How did you feel about the Dothraki charge? I've read about Dothraki screamers for years, but I never imagined it as fantastically as the charge with Dario was in the show. The yodeling of the screamers got me chilling all over. Historically speaking, there is a lot of examples of armies doing some sort of singing or sound or chanting or something because it's intimidating to the enemy. And so when I hear a screamer, it fits in that same sort of pantheon of warrior culture developing, you know, every every aspect of battle, including, you know, striking terror into your enemies as you you know, go into battle. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool, even though it was just, like, really quick, like, like Yerk Boy pointed out in our review of it, that that scene was just, it was, it was all kind of rushed. But, you know, it was still cool, even though it was rushed. And, yeah, it was, it was pretty strong. It was pretty powerful. Um, I wonder if we'll see more of that. I guess we will. I mean, they're probably going to Westeros. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see Death Rocky charge, I don't know, the White Walkers or <laughs> the Tyrell host. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Then... Moving on, I think we should move on to our section that ha that takes into account spoilers. Okay, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So we'll go to, we'll do our Patreon credits and acknowledgments, and then we will move on to spoiler questions. So folks, if you don't want to be spoiled, you Press should all, be... We'll have spoilers for the, you know, casting news, the next time on trailers. Basically everything the, we know. Yeah, everything. Yeah, all, every source of information we can, as spoilery as it is, we'll, we're throwing that out there. So if you don't want to be spoiled on that, check out our credits and then make your way out, and we will see you next week. But if you want to stick around, well, just wait for the credits, and we'll be back shortly. So, first of all, thanks to our History of Westeros bards, the talented Joey Townsend, as well as Jesse Kowal, who recorded the awesome cover of our theme music. And to our Patreon supporters, First Lord Cash Craig, Hand of the King, Lord of Mines, Lord of Makers, and the Black People. Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. Also Lord George Stormsville the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Lord John Reed of Castle Woodbridge is the Lord Borealis, the Light of the North, and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, and Warden of the South. Our small council is made up of Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whispers. Uh, Grand Maester Saria of the Barrows is Cinder of the Citadel. Lord Robert Jacobs is Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws. James Tuttle is our Master of Ships. Lords and ladies in their castles include Lady Dyerlis of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron, Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell as Breaker of the Second Stone, Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges, Cabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones, Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort, Alicia Everlasting is of the Greenblood and Lady of Desert Rose, Geoffrey the Unflinching is Lord of Sand Lake, Lord Greybay is of the Queen City. Lord Ryan is of Castle Stonegate and Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Lord is de of Devil's Hand Keep. Lord Brandon Slate is the North Hammer and Harbinger of the Old Gods. Ashland Winter is the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. Lady Cachon Ballant is of Swine Harbor. 
Lord Barone of Hillcrest is Lord of the Halls and wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Ah, King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Our Lord Commander of the King's Guard is Lord Commander Dubbington, the Red Bear. And the history of Westeros Night's Watch, last but not least, is commanded by George the Golden, backed up by First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Green Shield, First Steward Dolores Roenick Cantrell, the wielder of the Valyrian Spoon. For the night is dark and full of the turnips. We do have a new first builder to announce soon, but we got to come up with that nickname. So that's, that's, that's something for me to do. In between episodes, I always like coming up with nicknames for people. It's fun. Some people are bringing their own nickname to the table, and that's great, too. If you want to get a nickname like that or to support the show in general, historyofwesteros.com. Right sidebar is full of ways to support the show, including Patreon and other things. You can also make sure to subscribe, uh, leave us a review on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. All those things help support the show and spread the word. We're appreciative of any efforts you make towards that goal. Okay. Also, before we get into the spoilery questions, I want to thank Radio Westeros again for being part of not just this episode, but being with us this whole season. It's uh, really been great to have you guys with us. We've had a lot of great discussions. I know we all work together really well, and I think that shows. So let's uh, tell everyone where to find you guys. And remember, hey, two-year anniversary. If you haven't checked out Radio Westeros yet, well, what are you waiting for? And... This is a great time to do it because, once again, two-year anniversary. Very cool. Yeah, really thank thank you both for inviting us on this season. And uh, thanks to all your watchers who've been very supportive with their comments and so on. Uh, we're Radio Westeros. We're a book-only podcast. If you feel like giving us a try, go to RadioWesteros.com or we've got a YouTube channel, Radio Westeros. Thanks. Right on. And also thanks to everyone who tuned in to watch us live. I know a lot of you will be catching this recorded version because it's hard to set aside two hours in your afternoon on our schedule when you can catch this anytime afterwards. So thanks to everyone live and afterwards for mm. checking us out. All right, back to the questions. Yeah. Spoilery questions. All right. Um, from Real Peter Man, uh, again, Cersei might be planning to go full Ares in the finale, but what do you think is Marjorie's long con? Well, I think we've, we've touched on this a few times here and there, and I think basically it seems like she, I mean, she's after, she wants to be in power for sure. She wants to be the queen. She's made that clear since season two, and she thinks she can control Tommen, which we've seen her do that. And now that he's under the sway of the High Sparrow, I think she thinks she can take him back through, you know, straightforward being who she is, being... Him being a teenage boy who's in love, smitten, and her being a more experienced, you know, woman who knows how to manipulate a younger man and is totally willing to, and is frankly quite good at it. So I think she thinks she can win out over the High Sparrow's influence. But first she has to kind of get out from under the High Sparrow in order to do her thing with Tom. It's a, another question, I suppose, is will she even have time for this? Maybe she just burns to death before that even happens. Well, I had suggested that she's using the High Sparrow very cleverly to get rid of Cersei, uh, and um, it wouldn't surprise me. Remember, she wants to be not just a queen, she wants to be the queen. So that means that Cersei <laughs> yes. has to go. <laughs> 
And I wonder, I don't, I, so that's a good side question. You guys, does anyone think, any of us four think Cersei's going to die in episode 10? Or do you guys think that no. she will be part of next season? Next season. Yeah. We actually have a, a definitive spoiler on that, which is that she has re-signed a contract for next season. So mm -hmm. that kind of tears it right there, unless that's a, a really good fake out <laughs> on their part. <laughs> also re-signed are Jamie and Kit. Kit and Daenerys, or Emilia, rather, and um, I guess a few others aren't confirmed, but Tyrion, oh, Peter Inklage also. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, well, that sounds about right. Let's go to the next question. All right, this is tied to that from our friend Jim McGeehan of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog. Uh, do you think Chekhov's wildfire slash the Great King's Landing Kerboom is going to come into play in the show? And if so, do you think the show's conception of how it will be triggered will different will differ substantially from the books? Well, okay, two parts to this. One, we have another, using another trailer spoiler, which is that we see Jamie at the Twins... Lord Walder says, the Lannister of Frey send their regards. To who? I have no idea. But, Jamie has clearly left River Run to go to the Twins, not back to King's Landing. So it doesn't look like he's going to be there when all this goes down, which already suggests maybe some difference from the books. Not that we know for sure that Jamie will be at King's Landing when the wildfire thing happens there, either. Because right now he's got his hands full with Stoneheart and Brienne and all that. And we have no idea how that's going to go. So him getting back to King's Landing in the books is in doubt as well. But yeah, I do think, like a lot of things, the, the how is going to be different. The why is going to be pretty similar. How they get to it is going to be different, but the end result will be pretty simple, will be pretty similar. Like I think that who dies from this wildfire thing will be similar from book to show, but maybe not. It could be massively different because it could be Daenerys that sets it off in the books while Cersei does it here. What about everybody else? I know there's there's a lot of different opinions out there on this, so I, I definitely we should have other people weigh in. Yeah, I mean I think it will be substantially different in the in the books and show. I I kind of like the idea that it might be Danny in the books, uh, and I think it's pretty clearly just going to be Cersei in the show, and I do think um, there's strong likelihood that it's going to kill Tommen and she's going to be responsible for. Killing her last surviving child, which will drive, hopefully, will ultimately drive that wedge between her and Jamie <laughs> that we've all been waiting <laughs> for. Yeah, so none of us predict Cersei to die, but Tommen's death seems. Hmm. Poor kid. <laughs> uh, we got another yeah. question here from Alex Stroop, who asked something similar was, Do you think Cersei will burn down King's Landing in the finale? Will she burn it down in the books, or could that be Daenerys? I think, uh, in general, we lean towards Daenerys doing it accidentally uh, yes. in the books and... And possibly in the show, yeah, yeah. as and, well. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. But I think more likely in the books, in the show. Cersei's more likely to be the one to do it. Because who, who is going to... That's the thing. Without Jamie at King's Landing in the show, who's going to stop her? How is anyone going to... You know, who, who is there to stop her? Like, was Varys going to show up and prevent it? I don't think so. You know Varys is going to show up in Dorne with, with Elena and... And Alaria, apparently. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it could just not happen. She could just, just, she could screw up somehow. Well, not her. It wouldn't be her lighting the, the fuse or whatever. <laughs> Something could go wrong. I, I really, it's really hard to say. Like, I kind of, I'm at a loss for how it would not happen. Right. You know. I mean, it could just be much smaller. Um, yeah. You know. Maybe the whole. 
what about this dragon shadow over King's Landing? Yes, and Bran's vision shows a shadow of a dragon over King's Landing, and it's not a destroyed King's Landing. Danny's vision, where either snow or ash is falling out of the ceiling, reveals the, crown, the throne room is gutted and, and the ceiling is missing, which kind of sounds like heavy devastation, which could be a result of wildfire. But that's not clear either. That could be, if it's snow, it could be, she could be seeing like the, this could be like a symbolic of the White Walker's advance. If it's ash, definitely seems like King's Landing wildfire situation. So uh, I was unable to determine from looking back at that scene whether it was snow or ash. I lean towards snow, but I cannot say for certainty. All right, let's move on. Uh, from Devin Harper, in their entirety, not just big moments slash battles, where does Battle of the Bastards rank among the other episode nines for y'all? Okay, so we should... I'll just tell you what they are right now. Good call, good call. Um, season one, Baylor. That's Ned's death, etc. Season two, Blackwater. That obvious. needs no explanation. Yeah. Season three, the reigns of Castamere. Red Wedding, etc. Yep. Season four, the Watchers on the Wall. That's the big wall battle. Uh, season five, the Dance of Dragons. That was the big Daenerys in the pit moment. Right. And season six now, Battle of the Bastards. For me, it is very easy. It is Baylor. Hmm. This uh, is either first or second for me. I, I definitely like it more than the Battle of the Wall. Uh, the Battle of the Wall was really cool, but it had some silly things like that silly uh, wall scraper Sight. thing, wall sky, which was just really silly. And dudes mm -hmm. just charging the wall really I fast like to climb thing. it 700 feet like... That's just silly. Uh, not that other battles haven't had silly things. But yeah, so that's my least favorite, probably, even though I like it a lot. But I, I, I think this is maybe number one. It might be tied for Baylor. I, I have to rewatch Baylor, honestly. I don't remember what else happens in that episode. Mm -hmm. I remember a lot happening. Of course, Ned's death stands out, but I, I don't remember what else happens in it. Is that also when they have the King in the North moment? I know the dragons aren't born until the, the next episode. I think the King in the North scene is also episode 10. Yeah. Because uh, they, re they react to Ned's death, which is just happens. Hmm. Yeah, it's got Jamie and Rob, Rob's talk, and uh, John gets Longclaw. Hmm. And uh, anyways. Okay, so what about you guys, uh, Radio Westeros team? What's your uh, favorite episode nine? Or how does this rank among the episode nines? Uh, my favorite episode nine is Blackwater. I liked it more than this battle. I think because you weren't sure if you wanted Stannis to win or lose. You know, you were mm. conflicted. You, you were torn, and it kind of brought out this layer of emotion that that wasn't there in this episode. But, you know, I really did in, enjoy this episode. But, um, yeah, I'll go for my favourite, number nine, being uh, Blackwater. Hmm. And Lady Gwen? Well, I, this is definitely in the top three. It would be Baylor, Blackwater, and this one, Battle of the Bastards, all the bees. Uh, <laughs> but it's hard to say I mean there's good arguments on all on all sides but I agree Aziz I don't remember anything beyond Baylor and beyond Ned's death I, even with what you just said I mm, overall yeah, I, to... I mean I think it also the big Danny thing not the big Danny thing but call Drogo oh she kills call Drogo yeah, is that yeah. when she finishes our, uh, yeah. you know, oh yeah okay puts him so out of his misery right. yeah. so I think just maybe it's probably tied with Blackwater. Um, so, yeah. Okay, cool. So pretty high is yeah, the, is yeah. the yeah. conclusion there. It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily number one for all of us. It's in the top three for all yeah. of us, I guess, or up there. Anyways. Uh, all right. 
let's see. Yeah, this is just their comment. It's kind of an interesting thought. When Arya was gut stabbed so viciously by the waif, I really expected that only a red priestess would be able to save her. I expected her to drag herself to the small red temple in Bravos. It's not believable that Lady Crane, Lady Crane would be able to heal her. Well, we've talked about this a lot, but we hadn't really talked that much about the thought that Arya would go to the red temple. It would have been a kind of neat way oh, yeah. to to connect it to these all this red this red priest. Talk in Marine and the Red um, Priest could have mentioned side like yeah. off, side hand comments about Daenerys or something. Yeah, it would have been, been cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the idea. I just thought it was worth uh, highlighting that. Yeah. Nothing else to say there. Uh, this is us. This will go into spoilers again. I don't know if you already went into this, but do you reckon Samuel Tarly will go to Old Town? And if so, what do you think he will find out over there? Well, it's confirmed. There were it was spotted uh, that he was. There was a scene with him talking to a maester. A short scene? Yeah, so we're getting a short scene. We may not see the outside of Old Town. We may just see, like, this inside a room here, but we're really hoping for some cool shot of Old Town. Maybe, a, you know, they spend a little bit of CGI just to show us a shot of it or something. Or maybe that. I don't know how expensive that would is. You know, it's not like it doesn't have a lot of moving parts. Maybe I'm underestimating, but I feel like they could afford to throw in a shot of Old Town just, just for the awesomeness of it. Yeah, I have to kind of wonder what... Ravens, uh, John and Sansa are going to send out about this, and like it, he could find out that John has taken Winterfell right there, and he'd be like, "Wait, why is John not at the wall?" Because he would have no idea he was killed and brought back. <laughs> it'd be a really weird thing for him to learn, but uh, I think he'll. I, I think it, I think it might have something to do with Winter arriving. Yeah. My yeah, the way that the White Raven is part of the trailer, as we mentioned at the end of our book to show review, and that could we could start with the Maester scene, and then they send out the White Raven because that comes from the Citadel, and then we see the. I think it was one of you guys suggested that we would maybe see the flight of that Raven. It was me. As, oh, it was you. Okay, good <laughs> call. Nice idea. GoPro Raven action there. That'd be cool. That would be very cool if we see it like fly to a lot of different places or something like that, or. Yeah. Several white ravens go off at once, and we follow their path. That it's definitely an opportunity for some cool foul making there. It'd be awesome. Uh, so yeah, I, I personally, I'm down on the idea that John would really find out much of anything of use in Old Town or spend time there at all. This Heartsbane thing is throwing me for a loop. Yeah, it's really hard to predict. The Heartsbane thing is 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 tricky. <laughs> but it is possible that again, I mean. I would consider it bad writing, but it's possible that Sam isn't worried about his father coming after him, and his father isn't going to come after him. And in which case, Sam can stay in Old Town. Yeah. It is a possibility, as much as I hope it is the case. Yeah, there should be some consequences for stealing <laughs> the family sword. Yeah. See that sword? Been in our family 500 years. <laughs> you can't, you don't talk like that and just let things go. <laughs> okay. Let's see, let's move on. How about, is anyone else bothered or concerned about how the show seems to think that Cersei and Jaime didn't care much at all that the, Dor the, the Dornish traitors killed Marcella? I get that they wanted to write Dorn off, but it is out of character how it'll be played out in the books. Um, the question is about how it'll be played out in the books. I don't think that it might it's necessarily played out in the show. I think Cersei just had things that she had to deal with first, and if she gets power back, that... That'll be one of the things she deals with. Yeah, she can't uh, strike at Dorne at all right now. She, no soldiers will do what she tells them to do. She has no opportunity to take revenge. And I, I don't think that they've just glossed over it. I think they did cover it when Jamie and Cersei were first reunited. They were like, I want to kill them all. And Jamie's like, we will. But we got to do this other stuff first. 
And he's right. You know, they can't they they can't just march off to Dorne and get their revenge. It's 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 this is a this is a, this is a situation where revenge is a dish best served cold. And they don't have the opportunity to serve it hot, even if they wanted to. So they're going to have to wait. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think this is a plot hole. I think this is. I think they covered it. They didn't exactly delve deep into it, but I think they, I think they covered it. Any other thoughts from either of you about uh, how it might be dealt with in the books or how it is being dealt with in the show? Move on. Marcel's not dead in the books. No. It's really hard to. Yeah, that's a yeah. That's all I was going to say. It's just hard to say, yeah. I guess I'll point out that, you know, Jamie's relationship with his children is a bit questionable. He seems to think of them nothing more than a kind of squirt of seed to, to be... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Jamie definitely doesn't so. seem to care a lot about them. It's interesting because show Jamie is less redeemed in a lot of ways, and his art, he's kind of been up and down with a lot of things, but he's, he cares more about the children than the book one version does in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, here, the next question then will be just a general question from Chris Gettle. Mm -hmm. uh, predictions for Sam, Gilly, Bran, Sand Snakes, etc. for episode 10. We already covered Sam and Gilly right there a little bit, I think sufficiently... I think Sand Snakes will just be standing there during the negotiations between Ilaria and oh, Varys and Varys and, and Elena. Yes, yeah, so I don't. I don't think they'll do anything. They might stand there and, and make faces or something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of them will drop a, a snide comment or something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Call someone a bitch. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something like um, that. And Bran, he'll get to the wall, and as he's as he's on that journey, I think he'll see the R plus L equals J. He'll see some of the Tower of Joy. Yeah. I think that I don't think we'll get to see him get past the wall. I think we'll see him like get to the wall and maybe like say goodbye to. Say goodbye to Benjamin. Benjamin. Yeah, because Benjamin probably can't cross the wall. That's a good point. Um, maybe they go to the Grove of Nine, where the brothers do their mm. take their vows, because that's the closest where would we know up to the wall, even on the show. So maybe that's where he sees this vision. Because I agree, that's the that's the major thing that's coming for Bran in the next episode is R plus L equals J, and less easy to predict is where he will finish the season, whether he will get to the Castle Black. Or not, <laughs> or but I think he will. That's my. I'm leaning towards he will. Dollar's head will be like, oh, you're John's brother. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, this is a hypothetical. I don't know why these these people would be teaming up, but Ramsey <laughs> and one one versus Ungregor and Oberyn. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's a hard battle to to figure. I I, I would like for. Um, I think one one and Ramsey take that easily. Because yeah. Ramsey gets yeah. to stand back and shoot arrows while one one just like smacks those other two yeah. around. I think so, <laughs> but I think Oberon could convince one one beside him and not Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> That's clever. <laughs> yeah, I guess Oberon could just poison one one real quick. Like I don't know. Anything That's about. a lot of poison. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, any thoughts from either of you on team Ramsey? Yeah, this is a disappointing elite alliance. <laughs> yeah, I like it how all of those are responsible for each other's deaths. <laughs> <laughs> Ramsey kills one one, Oberon kills Gregor, Gregor kills Oberon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's their connection. Uh, um here's another question, um, a battle thing. It's a question for us, too. Who would be 
uh, more formidable opponent, Jagan or Jagan the Cat, our big black and white kitty. We wanted and, him to be in this episode, but he wasn't cooperating. Uh, but I gotta say, are. I'm gonna go with the faceless man. Our our cat is fat and lazy. He's not good in a fight. He might he might cute his way into surviving. Like uh, Arya cuted her way into surviving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I guess we'll go with the cat after all. Jacob right. couldn't bring himself to fight a cat of the proper colors like that. He would yes. be like, "This cat embodies the My faceless, face. the faceless cat." Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, another jokey one. From Chris Gettle, what kind of jokes will Tyrion make when he gets Theon, Varys, and Grey Worm all in one room? I think it'll be Grey Worm who make joke in this case. I think, I, or he'll he'll make good jokes, something that makes us laugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's right, see. Here's a couple another, more, and yeah. we'll be signing off. So let's yeah. see what do we have left here. Um, we've talked. We've touched on this a little bit, um, but we'll continue with it. Wilkins, 75. What role does House Manderly have in the show now that the battle is over? I believe House Manderly was cast for this season. Could Arya be coming to White Harbor instead of the Riverlands? She did say she is going home. Well, we know that she's going to the Riverlands from trailer spoilers, or from outside trailer spoilers. Uh, yeah, Lady Gwynn. Ooh. Yeah, I just have a great idea. Well, it's not my idea, so I'm going to say it's a great idea. <laughs> uh, someone asked us asked um, on YouTube earlier in the day um, if we thought that Manderly could show up at the Twins mm. and that it's actually the River Lords whose minds he's changing with his mind-changing speech. Um, it's not something I had considered. Uh, I thought it was worth throwing out there because... That is, you know, that would tie together Arya going to the Riverlands and the Manderly thing, uh, and it could even tie into the BWB and all those characters sort of merging and and then plus for next season. There's that dangling thread where we're told where Blackwalder or Lame Lothar tells his father that the Blackwoods and Malisters have risen up against them and that the Brotherhood has raised yeah. the common folk against them. So, yeah, that could yeah. tie into all that. So it could actually then make sense for, a re you know, the Red Wedding 2.0 that we're all sort of wondering if it's going to happen because Ooh. then you'd see this sort of alliance get together. I like so, it. I like it. You know, That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Very but good. I can't remember who said it. Um, I apologize. Mm -hmm. You know who you were probably, but it was a great idea. On the subject of Red Wedding 2.0 from Ashley W., if we do get the Red Wedding 2.0, is Jamie in danger? I've been so hyped for the Red Wedding 2.0 before, but I wasn't expecting to see him there, and now I'm worried. But I also feel like he has more to do before if he dies, although there could be that could be more in the books. No chance he dies next episode unless it was the super fake out, given that he was one of those actors renewed for next season. He's got a contract for next season. So, but if there's a 2.0 Red Wedding that happens, say, next season somehow or something along those lines, yeah, next season, who knows, Jamie? Like, I don't know. I don't know if anyone, any of one of us can say confidently that Jamie will survive the whole series. And we're getting into the last, you know, one episode next, which he won't die in. Following 13 episodes, 7 for season 7 and 6 for season 8 is apparently what we're getting. Uh, those are, the, I think that's when he might die, during mm -hmm. maybe during the last season or next season. Yeah. I think any, any other thoughts on that? Agree. Agree. Move on. Okay. Um, from Kara Cummings, will we see the other two dragons get riders? They seem to just follow Drogon during the Battle of Fire, but won't they bond with riders as well? Yes. Yara Dragon Rider. Mm, that'd be cool. I don't think she would, <laughs> but I would love that. Uh, 
I think yes. I think they will get riders. Maybe not till the saddle thing happens or something like that. But yeah, I think it's gonna happen. Yeah. Unless one of them dies first, at least one of them will get a rider. Mm-hmm. Didn't Dario? Wasn't Dario referencing the fact that the dragon needed riders when he was talking to Jora? Or was he just talking about sex with her? With Daenerys, he was saying Jorah wasn't a str- wasn't strong enough. He was old man. I think he was Could talking he be about one of the, the dragon riders. I couldn't remember if he said that. I think he was talking about that. Yeah, dragons. I think it was a. Oh, I thought it was a bad. An, oh, bad talking about handling analogy. her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now I remember. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I can remember how sex. the conversation went. Uh, anyways, yeah. uh, <laughs> then. This one we've covered from Icy Spots. Where is Varys going? Dorne. There was he was spotted filming there. Um, I don't know if that person even stuck around for the spoiler conversation. Here's a one we thought about a little bit from Darren Tucker, and that forums again. Yeah. Do you think Brienne and the Hound will meet again? And if so, how would they respect to each other, uh, react to each other with respect? That shows it. I just imagine them give each other a nod. I think Brienne would be like, "Whoa!" <laughs> and I thought I killed you. Uh, but I don't think she's gonna like pull her sword out and like go for him. I think Sandor will have will not do anything. I think he will be like. You know, she beat me, you know, respect. <laughs> I mean, he won't be, like, proud of it or anything, but I don't think he's going to seek revenge or anything. I think it was she beat him in a fair fight, you know, and uh, he's at heart a warrior, and he lost to her. You know, I don't think that I don't think he's going to hold a grudge for that necessarily, and especially if he's changed, like, which he seems like he is, it, it would be kind of backpedaling for him to just go for revenge. So I think there'll be, like, a grudging mutual respect there, especially if Brienne, once the Hound especially proves himself as not a threat, and once Brienne, especially if Brienne sees Sansa's reaction to him, which yeah. I think will be positive, and she'll follow that lead. Yep, exciting stuff. Uh, let's do just a couple more. Yeah. Um, this is one for, I guess, just as easy not, because Lady Gwyn and Yoke Boy don't play the board game. I see you have the board game hanging behind you. What is your favorite house to play with right here behind the scenes? This is actually a nine-player version, um, a custom mod. Of the standard five slash six, four slash five slash six player board yeah. game version of Game of Thrones. Uh, I would say it depends on what the setup is, whether it's a four player game or a six player game. I'd say I generally really like playing the southern regions, the Martell and Tyrells, because you're not stuck up at the north with the Starks. This version, the nine player though, has Targaryen with dragons. So that's my answer. I don't know about Aziz. I think you like Greyjoy. I like Greyjoy and, and the Vale. The Vale is. Oh, yeah. uh, is fun to play. They're really well contained. They have a lot of little cities and good resources right there in a small spot. Uh, it's, it's very easy to defend it. Um, but yeah, oh, I like right. the Greyjoys too because you can. It's 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 hard. You can attack in a lot of different places. And just like kind of the way they should be. You would think about them. It's t- you can attack a lot of places without being, people being able to prepare for it. All right, let's move on. Um, most people probably don't care about that, but if you like the board game, feel free to talk to us about it anytime. Yes. Um, from Waffles the Andal again. What do you think of making Yara a lesbian? I thought it was cliched. I loved Josh. Uh, uh, I loved Asha's sexuality in A Dance of Dragons. She's assertive, comfortable, and has chosen several lovers, but no permanent attachment. Just because she's tough doesn't mean she doesn't like men. I generally agree with you. I know we talked a bit about it with Lady Gwen and York Boy in yesterday's episode. Lady Gwen raised this point. I raised the counterpoint that I'll raise to you, which is that she isn't a lesbian. She's pansexual. She likes men still. Um, what, whether that has its own issues and flaws, I don't know. It does. But, uh, she's not just a lesbian, whether that affects your opinion. Um, I don't know if anyone has any other thoughts on it, except that, yeah, I I do kind of miss her. 
Uh, yeah, Carl I don't May. suppose we'll get Carl the Maid. Yeah, we'll get actually Carl the Maid. Right. <laughs> Carl the Maid will yes. be a woman. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Carla Kara, the Maid. Kara. Kara the Maid, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kara the Maid. Who also doesn't shave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just wish they had done a little bit better job uh, making the making the case for the character. So I think it's a writing issue, not a subject matter issue. I, you know, I think it's great, but I wish it had been written just a little bit. Some of the dialogue was kind of cheesy. Yeah, I was cheesing that brothel. That was, brothel. <laughs> that was the worst dialogue of the season. We didn't talk oh, about it. Oh yeah, we did not talk. We have to be positive here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's uh, a little bit of a question. Let's see. Eleanor Johnson. In the show, who was ruling over the Stormlands and Dragonstone? In the books, it would still be Shireen, but the only known bar- only known Baratheon is a bastard who is still rowing. Have they given any clues as to who is the ruling party slash parties? They haven't. I don't Whoever think. Whoever the steward is. <laughs> no, it's, it's not really. It's one of those things like the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard where they just kind of push it off to the side because it's, it's not central enough to the plot. It's something that George would never leave off. He would absolutely address it. We would know. But that's that's the that's the you know that's this is a difference in medium. It's easier to just you know write a few paragraphs to explain things. It's harder to pull that into a show when you have these time constraints. I w- yeah. I would love it. We would all love it if they could have that level of detail in the show. But it's just not very realistic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, do we want to take any? Let's more take questions? one or two more. There's one here I, I thought was really cool. Uh, I'll read it from Imaginista Requiem. What are the chances of the Manderleys coming into the show by marrying off Willa to one of the Freys, and hence the wedding feast we get Frey pies and some northern revenge, since the wedding is planned in the books? It's an interesting idea. Don't get my hopes up for Willa, though. We'd have to take a closer look at the scene. We get a screenshot or a, a, you know, from the trailer. We see Walder stand up and toast. We see Lannisters and Freys. It's possible there's other people there, you know, besides them. That's it's, it's clear. The only reason we know for sure there's Lannisters there is we know Jamie's there and we see those very distinct Lannister costumes, helmets, and armor. So it's possible there's other people there, and they're to- they're certainly toasting something besides maybe it's, it, it might just be the taking of River Run, but yeah, there might be other things involved. Uh, I like the idea though; it's it's an interesting way to twist the Manderleys back into the plot line, and they still get prey pies or something like that. That's kind of a cool idea. I, I, we might have to think about that a little more. And, of course, by the time we finish thinking about it, the episode will be here, and we'll know. But it might be something that could still happen next season, too. You know. Good idea. Good thoughts. You guys have any uh, ideas on that, Lady Gwen? No? No. All, All right. right. Well. Let's do two more. Two more. Call it okay. Which will the lucky two be? Yeah. Um, okay. It's from Garam again. How come no one seems to care that John left the Night's Watch? Well, I think some of them do care. I think that for the most part, he is, you know, that's a factor in his being there. But he's, frankly, he's framed it as, hey, this is part of our defense of the North. We are, in order to prepare to fight the White Walkers, we have to have a united North. And it's more nuanced in the book. Some people would argue that he's a traitor because he's getting involved in this in this situation. But other people say, no, Ramsey directly threatened him. That's, you know, that means he's in, it's okay for him to be involved. So it, it depends on how you view the vow and how literal you take it. But I think that there's plenty of wiggle room there for what John is doing is relevant to defending the North and, and upholding his vows. 
I do think they probably should have met, brought it up a little more, though, that maybe some of the Northern Lords should have said something about that. You know, maybe Liana Mormont could have said, as far as we know, you're a Bolton and you're a Snow and a deserter from the Night's Watch. But he isn't clearly a deserter from the Night's Watch because he's like a representative of the Night's Watch, you know. So it's a gray area, but so I don't think it's a big deal. Um, it might become a big deal. But arguably he's right, too, that he's dead and his now his watch has ended. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a decent point. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that? No. Uh, All right, let's do one more. Okay. Uh, this is just a funny comment. This one doesn't count either. From the straw man. Yara will ride a dragon, just not a fire-breathing one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, zing. Oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's do one related to the Aeron chapter. Cool, all right, I like it. Um, from Helene May. Given the new Aeron chapter and her House of the Undying vision, it looks like Danny is probably possibly going to have to partner with Euron, maybe even marry him. Do you believe there's any way Danny would willingly ally herself with Euron without the coercion of Dragonbinder? Maybe. I mean, here's the thing about Euron. Yara and Theon have allied themselves to Danny. If that was all they wanted to do, then there was no need to even have Euron, other than to maybe... Because they could invent some other reason for Yara and Theon to leave the Iron Islands. Just like, hey, let's just go ally with Daenerys. That's a good idea. Let's sail there. They didn't. They don't need Euron for that. So Euron's got to do something. Whether it's convincing Danny to, you know, marry him is a, is a, taking it a lot farther. But he's got to matter. He's got to be. He's got to create conflict. He's got to be some sort of villain, or he's got to. And that could be it. He could. Yeah, he could convince her that it's it's necessary somehow. I'm not sure how he would convince her of that, especially mm -hmm. without Dragonbinder. But. I definitely think he's going to matter. He's going to be important. You know, maybe he takes Ramsey's place as like a central human villain. Hmm. Any other uh, input on that? Yeah, I'd just say that the you know the House of the Undying visions and even the visions in the in the new chapter. Uh, however, Danny and Euron play in together is could be Morrow's never made. I mean, that's that's made pretty pretty clear. So. Uh, it could speak more to his ambition than to the reality of what Danny will choose to do with him. But I definitely think he's going to matter too, or he wouldn't mm. be there, like you said in the show. Right on. <laughs> they wouldn't have brought him in. Agree with that. Okay. Well. Uh, all right. We're guess we're done. I think that tears it. Or tears it. Finishes it. Yeah. We're. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We have a lot of questions we did not get to. A huge amount. Yeah, that's sorry. just how it goes. It's, there's always more questions than we have time for. But as I said at the beginning, we will. We have a TBA, another event announced after the season. We might be doing an event on someone else's channel. That's kind of up in the air. If that doesn't happen, we will do something here. So one way or the other, we'll be back after the end of the season to wrap more things up. There'll be plenty more to talk about after this last episode, of course. Keep in mind, it's the longest episode ever of Game of Thrones, 69 minutes. That's like an episode and a quarter, basically, because the average is around 54, 55 minutes. So it's basically an extra 15 minutes or so, which is great. So we'll have plenty more to talk about. Thanks for sticking with us. Looks like we had a very good turnout for today. So that's great. And we appreciate the support and all y'all's great questions. Thanks yeah. again to Radio Westeros. They will be with us next week. Cheers. Yeah. It's been really good fun. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Excellent. This was fun for having us and here. And thanks to Ashea for moderating. <laughs> great job, Ashea. Yeah. Uh, I wish yes. I could have gotten more questions. <laughs> talking <laughs> Yep, I can't help it. I have a, I have a, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I have run on sentence disease. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, I can scroll and scroll and scroll and just not get to the end. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's awesome. Sorry, if you need your question answered, just, again, submit it for the next Q&A. Get it in early and... Yeah, that helps a lot. Getting it in early, that gives people a chance to see it and upvote it, which gets it more visibility. Okay, well, right. Valar Morgulis, everybody. Valar Q&A's. Valar Episode 10, The Winds of Winterus is coming. Exciting stuff. Hopefully we get a great episode. Either way, we'll be back to review it soon. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>